2: Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. The NBA and college basketball seasons are back and we have almost hit the Super Bowl. It's right around the corner with all these sports going on. There are plenty of bets to lock in on whether you're thinking of picking the Nets or the Lakers to win the NBA championship or you're picking the Bills to upset the Chiefs this week. You need to go to betonline.ag and place your bets we went 4-0 and on game picks on this show, undefeated. We are back. One losing week, and we get back on track with a 4-0 and week, undefeated. 5-1 and overall when you count our teaser winner and our over loss of 56 in that Browns-Chiefs game. But in terms of picks, we couldn't be more on the money. We were all over the board and got paid out big time for it. I hope you guys did too. Remember, finished the regular season 63%. We are now 10-7-1 in the postseason. From game spreads to totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Believe in New York Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez. Be sure to like, download, rate, and subscribe wherever podcasts are available. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself, at Tino Rodriguez with a double underscore. We have an awesome show for you guys, an action-packed show at that. We are going to do things a little bit differently on this episode. We have two different conversations, three total guests. Benny Ricciardi from FTN Network and FTN Bets will, of course, be here and dish out our best bets for NFL Championship Weekend and build off our undefeated picks from last week. But we will also have some recurring guests on the show, Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino here to talk about all things New York football. We're going to share our reactions, our opinions on the playoffs so far. I'll pick Campy's brains on what he thinks about the Jets' moves up until this point and Pat will always have an opinion on the Giants, coaching, and plenty of gambling content. So we're going to get right into it. Not much to talk about on the show aside from our discussion. So let's dive right in. Here they are, Bill Campy and Pat DiMartino. All right, so I have the great pleasure of... Reintroducing, it's been a while, guys. I think we're going out about four or five months here since I've had you back been before, before the season. It's definitely before the season. Uh, it would have been preseason, but far too long. You're back. We have Pat DiMartino and Bill Campy here. I gave you guys a little intro before we came on, but tell the people what you guys have going on before we jump into football. Where they can follow you guys, what they can find you doing, and uh, if there's anything exciting going on in your life.
0: <laughs> uh i guess i'll start uh can't be here uh i am uh, you know if you want to talk sports or anything like that if you come by nj beer co uh in north bergen i work there part time um and uh love talking football love talking hockey and uh, anything of that nature so if you want to get a good beer and uh you know shoot sports come on by
2: and you still got the uh, what? show going on? What, what, what do we have going on over there? Are you trying to keep it afloat? How's the coaching corner going?
1: Well, C- Coach's Corner was, was dead for a little while. Uh, I, and, uh, but I, I kind of was inspired again once the NFL playoffs started. I released an episode last week. I'm over at, at Pat from EH on Twitter, Coach's Corner Podcast on SoundCloud. So I'm going to do another episode later this week, really breaking down the conference championship games in detail. And if you just want to get some good sports content from more of a higher level coaching perspective, as opposed to mainstream, uh, check out the podcast. I think you'll find it enjoyable.
2: Yeah. Pat. I also told the people you do enjoy gambling, just like I do at least talking about it. So I know they can check your stuff out with that. You haven't been too far into it. I know you love your golf, so we'll stay in our lanes for now and let's talk and start with some New York football before we get into the playoffs and the postseason. And this is more towards campy, but, Pat here is going to toe the line because he's he's unbiased here because he's a uh, neither a Jet or a Giant fan. So that's great. We're going to need some balance on this show. So help level me and Campy whenever things go off the rails here. But Campy, we've talked about this a million times, but let the people know how you're feeling from a Jets perspective. Do you think things are going in the right direction? Are you happy with how things have been so far?
0: Uh, as a Jets fan, there's not much that you can fault right now with how Douglas has uh, approached just the coaching hire with bringing in Sala. Um, you have to be happy. Uh, there was a very, very uh, short window where ownership could have stepped in and screwed this all up, uh, I, I think. I think you get a guy that can hold the room. I think you have a culture change in Robert Sala, and I think you have him bringing along a little little LeFleur, a little flower, and bringing him in for the OC position, um, which is Shanahan-based, and you've seen Shanahan systems work. Uh, Now, the big thing is, what are they going to do with the draft? Um, but I think that just based off of what they've done, you can't be mad. You have to be happy. You have to be encouraged by just Douglas' Douglas's ability to draft. You have Becton from last year. Obviously, that's a huge hit. Denzel Mims, I think, is showing that he's going to be a number two receiver, um, and you have draft capital going into the, this offseason and next. Um, that That certainly is a bright spot. The biggest step, though, of course, is figuring out if Darnold is the guy. Um, If Darnold's the guy, there are worse positions that he could be in right now, like having Adam Gase. Uh, So we've seen the worst out of Darnold the past two years. I'm encouraged if they keep him, but I'm also not heartbroken if they move on. I, I think that Darnold is a guy that, if coached well and he executes in the right system can be a Alex Smith type player. Personally, I think he can be, I know, which isn't huge. I I don't think his ceiling is huge personally. Uh, I've seen enough out of him in the past two years where he just doesn't seem to be able to push the ball down the field. Now, a lot of that is attributed to what the fact that his offensive line's been weak. The fact that he hasn't necessarily had the best weapons around him, Absolutely, and obviously, when you have Adam Gase, it's like you're trying to play football with an anchor tied around your waist. Um, so it's it certainly hasn't been the optimal atmosphere for for Darnold at any point. Uh, but I also don't know if he's if he is at least from a from a fan standpoint and a coaching standpoint. I don't know if I, I feel like we may have broken him. I think he needs a new surrounding a new surrounding and a new just atmosphere to to grow accustomed with and it's it's none of his fault it really is none of his fault personally I think we should move on with one of these quarterbacks uh in the you know the deepest fantasies of my mind would it be possible to get Watson if he wanted to actually come here that would be I mean I think that would be The first and foremost thing they should try to do. I don't think he wants to come to to the Jets, despite Sala, you know, being an interest uh, uh, a coach that he was interested in for the Texans. Um, So, but they do have the assets to try to acquire a guy like that. But does Watson want to come here? Probably not. So So that's basically where I'm at. I'm pretty encouraged. I think they're moving in the right direction.
2: So Pat made a face when you said that he reminded you of Alex Smith. I'm just curious on that take, Pat. I have another question for you, but I'm just wondering what the face exactly was for. Well,
1: that was actually not what can't be thought. I thought that I was disrespectful to Alex Smith. I think Alex Smith, <laughs> I mean, not, not anymore per se. Alex Smith was an MVP type player at one point in his career. In uh, my uh, <laughs> and uh, I, To me, Darnold hasn't been successful because he's not intelligent and he hasn't advanced at all in reading coverages. You want to blame Gase, that's fine. It's still they have a quarterback's coach. I mean, he hasn't shown any improvement in that area to me. I think he has all the physical tools to be a good player, but I just don't think he's got it upstairs. So I'm moving on from Darnold. If I'm a Jet fan, he's not a bad kid. I just I think he's more of an athlete than a, a true quarterback, in my opinion. Um, just quickly on Sal, before we move on to the Giants,
2: Oh no, we're good. We're gonna stay. We're gonna stay on the Jets. We're gonna touch on it. I had another question to do with the coaching, but please share your point.
1: Okay, so if there's one thing in this world that I'm good at, it's evaluating coaches. You know that that my dream job would be to be on a search firm and and be in on these interviews, evaluating you know the different talents that these coaches have. And I've had sort of a fetish for Salah for three three to four years now. Stuff I've seen San Francisco defensively do on the field is just at such an elite level. And I'm not talking about results. Like, I don't want to hire coordinators by just sorting top offense, top defense. Give me those guys. I want guys that when I'm watching games, stuff flashes about that side of the ball in terms of effort, taking insane pride in their technique. The game means more to them than it does to most other teams they're playing for a, a bigger meaning a deeper meaning and when you watch san francisco on film that is extremely clear and obvious obvious they get 11 hats to the football they're also their lack of preparation they're incredible in short yardage any specialized situations they're, they're they communicate quickly and efficiently i think a lot of that goes to sala and uh, he, he's just a heck of a football coach. Schematically, he's very solid. They, they run everything. I mean, every D.C. in the NFL uh, is solid scheme wise, but I think he's a little bit more advanced than most. And he's just an exceptional leader of men. I also like that he's shown this vulnerability already in the last you know, week or so by acknowledging the fact that he does have faults and a big thing that he wants to do is bring in a diverse coaching staff not necessarily from an ethnic or racial standpoint. He means more from strengths and weaknesses, and he wants a staff that's going to complement each other in that area. Like, Campy knows. I coached one way. Alan Zomaitis coached a totally different way. Like, you need, like, a little bit – and Campy was another different way. You can't have all AZs on a team. You can't have all Campys. You can't have all Me's. And I think that was kind of a unique perspective. I haven't really heard uh, anyone talk about that immediately upon being hired. Usually it's about – we need a unified vision. This is what we're doing. Yes, that's true. But I kind of like the acknowledgement of we're going to do things, you know, in a little bit more balanced way. I thought that was pretty neat.
0: Yeah, uh, Salah, the way that he has presented himself and the way that he's carried himself, you know, he's infectious. He's he's got a way about him that draws players and coaches to his ideologies and his way of thinking. And, and you have to love the idea that this guy's humble. And that he's able to, you know, bring coaches into a room, athletes into a room, and pretty much say, look, we're on the same team. Let's figure out what's best and what's going to work. No no egos. You know, that's a huge, uh, just a huge strength for any coach or just, you know, in general, human uh, as a human being. So if you can take criticism and take suggestions, you're going to be better. And, um, you know, Sal is definitely, you know... A, a, a huge, huge upgrade uh, for a t- for a team that's lacked direction for a decade, really. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you you have to be encouraged as a Jets fan, absolutely.
2: So, with me and the Alex Smith thing, real quick, uh, I just think Alex Smith is a little bit more of a game manager. That's all. I just don't think he turns the ball over right. as much as Darnold. So that's like a very basic, right. Like I, when I, I
0: s- when I made the Alex Smith comparison. That's how I've always seen him as a game manager. I know he had you know a really good year under Reed's system two years, and then Mahomes came in and transformed it so I've always seen Smith as a guy that you know can can manage the football but won't go out and win you a game. He's done it a handful of times, I think, where he's actually gone out and won a game uh, I just don't I've never seen that you know, that consistency out of him. I don't think he transcends an offense. I think he's a good quarterback. He's a great story now. Uh, I just don't think that he ever was a top 10 quarterback, uh, in my opinion. And I don't think Darnold would ever be a top 10 quarterback. I think his ceiling would be Alex Smith, personally.
2: Hot take. Are the Kansas City Chiefs just a system team? Is Patrick Mahomes even that good? Chad Henney won the game for him. Chad Henny won the <laughs> game. We got Alex Smith. Hot take, no. Let, let, Patrick let's Mahomes
0: is... Patrick Mahomes is top three quarterback every year until he retires. I so think.
2: Let's let's bring this part up, so because we can talk about the Chiefs' offense with the enemy. And my general question for you guys and canby we touched on this a little bit when we uh, when we right. saw each other. It's more of a general question, but the Jets obviously went the offensive route as a head coach with Gase, right? And I think everyone this offseason, even with the Brian Dables of the world and the enemies, were thinking. The league is going offense. You need to go offensive-minded. You need to be offensive-minded, so on and so forth. And the Jets went defense, and I love Salah. I think it's a great hire. I think he's the guy to get. Obviously, now we've seen the Chargers go with a DC as well. What's your mindset with... You know, the whole NFL is going to an offensive league and, you know, you feel like your head coach needs to be offensive now. Like you need this genius and the Giants deal with it all the time because judge isn't necessarily one or the other. He's more like a general. So what are your thoughts on the fact that the NFL is going offensive? And do you think it really matters all that much if your head coach is an offensive minded head coach or not?
1: Uh, Absolutely not. I think that's kind of a stupid narrative that the media has pushed. Unfortunately, some of the owners uh, are the ones reading those clippings and watching the media and they fall into the trap of wanting to do that. To me, you know, I I want a leader of men, a a guy that uh, understands both sides of the ball. Ideally. I mean, if I had to really pick who I want to run a team, give me a special teams coordinator. Like he has ties on both sides of the ball. I think it's way more important to put a great staff around you uh, and and have hands-on on both sides. Like honestly, Sean McVay is an example that I always go back to. He's so one-side dominant on offense that he is totally vulnerable to whatever D.C. he employs. He got really lucky with this Brandon Staley hire. I knew week one against the Cowboys, you could tell that the Rams had a different type of defensive mentality. Now, the Rams' defense under Wade Phillips flat-out stunk. McVay never stepped in, never adjusted, never addressed out of the ball. I do not want a head coach that – is obsessed one way or the other offense or defense I want him to have his hands and eyes on everything it's obviously Sal has a defensive background that's going to be his focus but I don't think he's going to just turn the keys over to the offense and never even you know have any clue what's going on over there so as far as hiring an offensive minded coach over a defensive minded coach that I don't really believe in that personally.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's just a bullshit narrative. I also think it's an easy way out. Like everyone thinks you need to hire the Kingsburys of the world and the LaFleurs of the world right. because that's what the trend has been the last couple of years. And then, you know, the whole thing with Philly now is they got to bring up Lincoln Riley because Hertz had good. Like, I just, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see that continuously working out. And again, the Giants didn't go that way. And I'm, I'm happy about it because I think it's paid off.
0: Pat hit it on the head there. Uh, this is how you get a guy like Adam Gase, if you think that way. Adam Gase uh, broke records with Peyton Manning with the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning swore by him. And that's how he gets another head coaching job after going seven and nine and having a sub 500 record with the Dolphins with the Jets. It it, it baffles. It blows your mind, you know, that type of thinking. And that's how you get screwed over by by doing this type of crap. You can't do that. Um, You have to be thorough in your in your research. You have to, you know. Take in a number of candidates and you have to find a guy that can command a room. You don't want a Weasley guy. You don't want a guy that's, you know, lurking in the shadows and his eyes are darting everywhere. Like he's, you know, uh, like he's looking out over his shoulder every single time he, he speaks to the media. You want a guy that can, can have a, a sense about himself and about the room and just about his athletes. And I think Salah has that. The one interesting thing that will, that will certainly be on my radar is, you know, they ran a four, a forefront with the Niners, a big cover three scheme, all of that type of stuff. And the Jets have been a three, four for goodness, I think since the mid 2000s, you know, uh, now it'll be very interesting to see what they do in terms of that. I'm assuming that sala will, will conform that defense to a forefront, um, which I'm, i am I'm all for it. I think Quinn and Williams could excel at, at that area, whether at the one or the three, um, especially based off the year he had. So uh, it could be a, a welcome change on that side of the ball. But, I, but just like Pat said, with bringing individuals into a room and, and, and being that CEO type of coach, the fact that Salah's bringing guys from the Niners staff like LaFleur, the passing game coordinator, for those of you that may not know, uh, the, for the listeners, you know, for the Niners, that's a big deal. And this is a guy that comes from that Shanahan coaching tree. And I think that's going to help. That's a QB friendly offense. So whether they go with, you know, Darnold, which I think they should move on, or whether they, they, they uh, move on to a guy like Zach Wilson or so on, I think that's going to put that individual in the best situation possible to succeed. Um, now, what are some of those things that the Niners had that the Jets don't? The Niners had a, an exceptional offensive line. The Niners had an exceptional defensive line. So they have to build up those those areas and obviously the secondary as well. And that's a long time coming, I think, over the next two years. So, um, But you definitely have light at the end of the tunnel. You can see it. Uh, with with this hire and and with this uh, direction that they're going.
1: One quick correction before we move on. The 49ers did not have a good offensive line. They were exceptionally well coached and lacking in talent. I think this Jets offensive line is already more talented than that group. They wow. brought in the offensive line coach from San Francisco. I read this morning that he took the job for the Jets. That's the big-time hire. I think the Jets' own line is gonna is going to really improve rapidly.
0: You really thought they'd have a better line than the, uh, the Jets have a better line than the Niners.
1: I think personnel across the board, equal coaching. Yes. I think the 49ers offensive line has been overrated for quite some time now. I'm not talking back when they had, you know, Staley playing at a high level. Just sure, in the last sure. two probably has been a little bit weak. I think Fair it's enough. Been up really well in the run game.
0: I think Becton Becton puts a band-aid on that offensive
1: line. I think a lot,
0: you know, I think he, he's helped out a lot. I think that, uh, uh they get a guard yeah well that's another podcast time when we get closer to the draft well, I think. So, I mean least- all
2: that though is encouraging stuff for Jet fans because if they do draft what we think they're going to do at least if they don't trade back they're probably going to get Sewell which will definitely help them and with good coaching you have Beckton, who's your band like you said and you bring in probably the best talent offensively at least on the offensive line in this draft and if they, Sewell- stick, with I-
0: yeah, if they least- stick with Darnold yeah if they stick with Darnold
2: Yeah. I think though, with going Salah, it it changes things. I was just on the mindset that if they did go offensive minded, he was going to try to get cute with it and draft a quarterback and fields did just commit as of today, Monday. So, um, you know, he's coming out for sure. I I don't think there was a question in that, but those are the ties, but can't be, we've talked about this. The jets have two first round picks. So there's a million things they could do. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are there. We have a combine to still go through. I mean, there's a lot that could happen. Um, I want to kind of switch gears here and we can talk Giants, but this is more like just general. So KB did not talk about the fact in the intro that he is a he- uh, head coach. We coach together. He's a defensive minded head coach uh, like we're talking about here. So Patrick Graham was linked to the Jets for a little bit there. Patrick Graham was the band-aid for this Giants defense in in a major way and a large in part for the lack of, um, you know, defensive end depth and talent that we had and even at the linebacker group he was able to generate pressure with our safeties and just scheming up blitzes and just pressures as a whole and just changing game plans that way and it's a large and part of the reason he was getting looks because he was able to turn a defense that was so terrible and putrid to very respectable got the most out of Leonard Williams what a lot of people didn't think they could so for you guys what Patrick Graham was able to do I know you guys aren't Giants guys but how difficult is that to actually do? How difficult is it to week in, week out, scheme up and put together pressures and get the most out of your guys to put them in positions to, you know, make plays and get the most out of them in what they did with Leonard Williams this year? I mean, can't be you had him on the Jets. He wasn't putting up 11 and a half sacks. So what can you say to that? What can you say to that on the defensive side of the ball? Uh,
0: you know, it's funny. I don't think anybody would argue that if you're in the NFL, that you're a bad athlete or that you're incapable of doing uh, great things. You know, technique is something that's taught. Uh, Systems are something that are learned and that you're able to adapt to. And and we've seen it a number of times, like uh, Ryan Tannehill, think of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was an afterthought seen as a bust um, with the Dolphins, he goes to the Titans and he's putting up damn near 40 touchdowns a year at this point. You look at Leonard Floyd, this past year, uh, was, was the bears was seen as a bust. He goes to the Rams and he goes to Staley's, uh, defense and he's, you know, having a double digit sack totals and playing like he's a, like he's a, you know, Khalil Mack light. Um, now you have, you know, Patrick Graham and this, this defense that the giants were, were cellar dwellers for the past, what, two, three years, you know, it they've been brutal to watch. And when you have a, a coordinator that can change uh, uh, just the outlook of a unit, you know, the Giants have done enough, I think, drafting some capable guys. Uh, and they have athletes and, and weapons that, you know, maybe, you know, guy, uh, maybe teams thought that they couldn't do it. Blake Martinez, hey, he, he did okay with the Packers. He transcended this year. He was a much better linebacker. Same uh, with
2: James Bradbury, man. Right. And, you know, just to jump in, I, I think, you know, from the scheming part of it, I think you could tie it to what you guys said about Sala Getting all 11 hats to the ball. It's an effort thing. I mean, he's not a rah-rah defensive coordinator. You know, Salah is very more vocal. You can see him on the sideline. The veins are <laughs> bursting through his head half the time in his neck. Like, you can tell Patrick Graham, very soft-spoken, but gets the most out of his players and – You know, I just think it's funny. I I have such an appreciation for defense in any professional sport at this point uh, because it's very easy to not do it and go with what everyone's saying and just try to go with shootouts and change your team and your scheme to doing that. But the Giants know they're not built that way, and they had to adapt to what Graham had going on, and – you know, we go through the Martinez's and the Bradberries, Jabril Peppers. We said Leonard Williams. I mean, instead of making an excuse that they don't have a defensive end and they have too many D tackles, you use the guys that you have and you get the most out of them. And, you know, something has to be said for that. You know, it goes very under the radar. It's
0: it says a lot when, you know, you can complain and say you don't have the guys or you can put them in the best position to succeed. That's what coaching is. You know, you, you can't coach what you don't have and you can't imagine what you can do without having those individuals you need to be realistic and you need to put them in the best position to succeed that's why it's apples to oranges but you know if you're a high school coach uh, you know uh, pop Warner what have you if you're scheming up things and your kids just can't do it then you're you're putting them in a position to lose and get their butts kicked every time you have to do what they're capable of. You know, if they can't adjust to uh, if, if they can't, you know, if they can't r- do the difference between cover three and cover one and they just or, or playing man to, to playing zone and they're just not capable of doing it. They're not fast enough. They, they don't have good enough technique. Then you don't call that. You, you don't call it in a game. If they can't run it well in practice, How what makes you think it's going to work in a game? So you have to be able to adjust and, you know, shift your line of thinking as a coach. Um, not it, it, you can't put a round peg, you know, a, a square peg in a round hole. You have to be able to adjust and to be able to adapt. It's that simple. And the good coaches are able to do that.
1: So I'll, I'll try to be concise here. Uh, I didn't know anything about Patrick Ram before this season, and he is on as much, if not better trajectory for me personally, as what Robert Salah was. I think this guy is as good a defensive coordinator as Eric, Bianami is an offensive coordinator. For some reason, I like link those two. They're both, you know, more soft spoken and quiet on game day. That calm comes over them. I bet you in meetings and in practice, those guys are lit something about them. I I feel like they're probably very passionate behind the scenes. And when, you know, when, it, when it's game time, I, got, I coached for a defensive coordinator that was extremely amped when, no, when the cameras weren't on him. And on game day, a calm came over him. I think that, I think that is a sign of a great coach as well. But just quickly on Graham, I thought you could really break down the Giants' success into three different things that he improved. One was effort. You know, their effort was tremendous this year. It hasn't been that in years previous. That, that, that's an obvious one. Um, a steady improvement in player development and technique. Some of their young kids, some of their lesser talented guys, you could actually see getting better as the season went on. And and that hasn't always happened. That's not a guarantee. That takes a lot of hard work. I think a lot of that is Joe Judge setting the tone with, you know, more uh, physical uh, heightened sense of urgency in practice. And you could tell that the Giants, a lot of their young guys really came along quickly and even their veterans like polished up their technique and got better. They got so much out of a guy like Logan Ryan, who to me was on the downturn of his career, but he sort of was rejuvenated by this culture. He took on sort of like a captain's leadership role, really was the liaison between Patrick Graham and those young kids, and was a very inspirational player in that entire scheme. And the last category that I thought he really did a great job in is just scheme and flexibility and teaching. And a lot of defensive coordinators, the bad ones, I should say, like to say, we want to keep it simple so our guys can play fast. What that really means in code is that you don't have confidence in yourself to be a great teacher and and ingrain different schemes, techniques um, into your players. I understand you don't want to overload guys. There's a fine line there. But these are NFL players. These are professionals. He was willing to change up the scheme week to week drastically, almost like in a New England-esque way. I think they acknowledged their own deficiencies each week. They knew where they were weak, and they helped that group. I thought they took away the other team's best options really well. Uh, their blitzing was very timely. Just every, everything I wanted to see from a great coordinator schematically. I, I thought Patrick Graham had, had a hell of a year, and I, I think maybe five to six, maybe seven of those Giants were really high-level NFL starters, the rest of the guys that was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but they got the job done still as a group, as a team. They have a lot of belief in themselves, and it's a shame they didn't get a chance to make the playoffs after that stunt that the uh, Eagles pulled. But again, that's another another podcast.
2: We don't talk about it, and they got there. Dougie Boy is on the streets right now, and that's uh, <laughs> that's karma served. Um, but I like do your-
1: fans feel that way about Graham in general. They all are on board. They feel the same way I do about Patrick. Oh, Graham? A, th- a
2: thousand percent for me. I just think I knew he was probably going to stay cause he was tied to head coaching positions. I just didn't think he was just ready to have his own system yet. I-, I don't think he's not like a capable guy to be a head coach. I just don't think he's there yet. And I think him and judge work very, very well together. I, I just think yeah. he's got a chemistry there. What's up. Campy?
0: Quick, Quick question. And this is for you, Rod. If you could choose between two former NFC East coaches to be your OC, would you rather have Doug Peterson or Jason Garrett?
2: Oh, my God. Well, no. Well, I already have Garrett. I'll take Garrett just for pride and the fact that I'm miserable enough already. If I wait out one more year, maybe he'll just leave. If Peterson goes, maybe I got another two. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I need I need the shortest one, the shortest tenure. So it looks like Garrett's the closest. And we were we were gonna start with Garrett, but I figure I go positive and talk Patrick Graham. I did wanna note some guys, some young guys before we go to Garrett that um that we were Talking about more generally, but the Darnay Holmes is of the world. They got something out of McKinney towards the tail end of the year. There, um, you're getting effort out of crowd Crowder, a seventh-round pick who's turning into you know your LB two, your your inside guy next to Blake Martinez. I mean, you're, you're pulling strings here on guys that you drafted to fit the scheme. It's one thing to draft guys to fit your scheme. It's another thing to really get it to work. I mean, the Jets try to do it every year. You, you draft. You know, you draft third, fourth, fifth round picks. You think, and I, th- I think Bryce Hall is one of the, those guys that is actually—he's the one,
0: one of the bright spots.
2: Yeah, so it, it's something like that. But the fact that they were able to hit the way they did in a first year system with a f- new DC, new head coach, no offseason, all this bullshit—I I think, I think it speaks wonders to like what Pat said. Not only Patrick Graham, but Joe Judge, and I think that tandem. There's a reason why they gave him the credit of being the assistant head coach because that's what he is. I, I mean, truthfully, that's what he is, and that's judge's guy. I don't think Garrett's judge's guy. And we can kind of get to that now. Um, he's there. I, I think Columbo was um, Garrett's right-hand man. So him getting rid of Columbo to bring in someone he liked kind of showed the writing on the wall for Garrett, but it seems like Mara and Gettleman really, really like, like him. I mean, they like Jason Garrett. Why? I don't know, but it, it appears they like him. So, unless he goes somewhere else to be a head coach, which doesn't look possible now that the Chargers are starting to make moves. It looks like the Giants are stuck with Jason Garrett at least for one more year. Um, Pat, we could start with you. Just what do you, what did you see from Garrett from, from the limited games? I'm sure you saw with the Giants, but what did you see that you didn't necessarily like with this Giants offense and Jason Garrett, anything in particular?
1: Um, Well, A, I didn't see a willingness to adapt uh, I think Garrett is a little bit more of a "we do what we do" type guy. Uh, to preface this, I just don't love the system in general. I'm not really a, an offensive guru. I can't tell you exactly why I don't like it, but to me, I think other offenses are way more advanced. And when I just look at their route combinations, especially their pass, like their passing game, to me is very easy to defend. When I watch the tape, like there's Jones has basically one place to go on, on every you know, big third down. Like if it's man, they just throw the slot fade no matter what. Like there's never a rub. There's never like any sort of creativity. There's very little motion. Uh, there's very little. Uh, and early in the year when they moved the ball, they did it out of empty and in tempo when they just let Jones like be a basketball player back there and react. And he actually looked pretty good. And in that's in, in those instances when they were just going three yards in a cloud of dust and like getting behind the chains. Uh, that's when Jones struggled. I don't think he had a whole heck of a lot of confidence in that offensive line, although they did begin to gel as the season went on. Um, now this might, this is just my theory. I thought from day one that, that I don't know if it's been confirmed or not. I thought the Mara's probably pushed Garrett, you know, on, on judge, you know, the, the Mara family doesn't, they're, they're pretty risk averse as far as the NFL goes to hire a first-year head coach, like first-time head coach, I think part of that stipulation was, well, we're going to give you a security blanket of a guy who's been a head guy. He's going to do the offense. Like, let him be. He knows what he's doing. He's a professional. Now, to me, it's a major red flag if if Judge allows this going forward. I think he needs to have a sit-down with the owners and say, listen, my vision is, is very different than Jason's. Like, I need guys that are relentlessly – chasing greatness, willing to change week to week, do whatever it takes, like make our bet, put our best players in their, their best position to succeed, you know, go away from our weaknesses. I don't think Garrett's willing to do that. I can't lead a team if half, the, half of my team is, is not on board with the overall plan. I think that needs to be addressed. And Jason Garrett is obviously a good football coach. I'm not saying that. He comes from a, a great background, a great lineage. To me, the game has passed him by a little bit. He's not an elite leader of men. Sure, he's a good teacher. The run game got going. But – and just another nitpick, in-game, stuff that was working, he would go away from inexcusably. that The game against Cleveland, which is probably the most disappointing game of the year, I thought, for the Giants. Yep. It was the one game that they really uh, – they kind of went into that game thinking they had to win with smoke and mirrors and trick plays and go for it in the red zone. But they had gap scheme runs that were popping for seven, eight yards a carry – And then they went away from it. Like, why? Unnecessary. To me, Garrett was... I hope they move on.
2: Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I think you kind of hit it on the head there, the, the adaptability part of it, because that's a huge, huge, huge part for me. I mean, you saw with Patrick Graham and the defense, and they were always willing to make adjustments. Offensively, you just didn't see that out of uh, what Garrett was putting together. And the offense was completely predictable. I mean, in terms of the scheme, like we don't have to – none of us are necessarily offensive gurus. But I think if we can pick apart their route combinations on a week-in, week-out basis, you think at an NFL level they'll probably be able to do it pretty easy. And the thing that I, th- I think bothered me most was it seemed like he didn't trust Jones at the fullest. And I understand early on, you know, you want to make sure that this, this young second year guy, makes sure he, he knocks those turnovers down and he takes care of the ball a little bit better, but they never took the little kid gloves off him. They never actually gave him an opportunity to utilize what, one of his best assets is. And it's actually his arm and making those deep throws downfield. They started to do it more towards the end of the season, but that by that time is a little too late. I, I think they were too conservative And as much as we kind of went off and we're talking about how it doesn't necessarily need to be an offensive league and what everyone was talking about in the media, you know, grain of salt, but it is getting a little more explosive. I mean the lateral run game that they try to do with two, three tight ends, eventually it's not going to work and you need to try to change things up. And they just, they never did it. And it seemed like he was reluctant to do it. And I don't know if it was because he was just too proud of his scheme and it's just, this is going to work. I know it works. It'll work eventually or whatever the hell he was thinking, but it never really came together, and it's a reason they had the second worst offense in the league. Gamby, as a fellow fan of a team in New York that sat at the bottom in offenses with the New York Giants, um, you were the only one worse than ours. So, how does it feel? How does it feel to be a, a cellar dweller with us? And uh, is there anything you saw with the Giants that? Made us a little bit better than yours, or did you see a lot of the same tendencies?
0: The one thing that perplexes me about the Giants is, you know, I I I like Daniel Jones, and I have I have some Giants friends that that really think they honestly should move on from him, but I I, I see him as kind of a, a like a a one B Josh Allen, like he doesn't have the arm, but he has the athleticism and the size of Josh Allen, and I, I just it's odd that they didn't draw up maybe. And you saw him get out and and really uh, uh, open it up. And I think it was the Eagles game where he he stumbled. Talking
2: about running the ball? Yeah, Yeah, running the ball.
0: Right. And I I just – I would have thought – and obviously he got hurt. I think it was like week uh, 10, 11, whatnot with the hammy. Um, But I would think that they would have tried to do that a little bit more maybe early on. But I think, you know, that goes with Pat's – you know, message on Garrett and just not being able to adapt or to you know bring about different uh, bits to the scheme. At least running the football, uh, the Jets they they have been floundering in 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 Gase's system for quite some time. I mean, Gase gave up play calling and put Logan da- Logan Dow. I think that was his name. I have freaking never heard of this man before in my life, and and he actually got. I think for a couple of weeks, he did decent in the first half. He seemed to do a decent job of play calling or put them in a better position to get points. But uh, it seemed to fall off in in the second half. And the Jets were a team that just were terrible at adjustments. It's very clear when you watch a game. Because to end the season, I think they went six straight games scoring opening uh, the game with a touchdown. Their offense would go down, score and then they just would do nothing.
2: It wasn't You're always right. a touchdown, but they put points on the board. And that, right. that's all that matters, put points Bro. on the board, baby.
0: Well, no, I'm telling you, the, the last six games of the year, they had a streak going where they would open the game with a touchdown. They did it against the Raiders, they did it against the Rams, they did it against the Browns. And that's when I was getting nervous as a Jets fan because I, I was under the impression, I swear to God, that if they beat the Patriots, I really thought they were going to put themselves in the mindset of keeping Gase. And I would have walked away. I, I I would have walked away. I would have put down my jerseys and just said, "I'm done." You know, they needed to move on from him. From I thought last year, y- you saw enough uh, from what his capability was as a leader and as an OC and so on. So it's it's clear that whatever he was doing, and yes, they are not the most talented team, but like Pat was saying and so on, you should try to put your your players in position to succeed, you should adapt, you should be able to be diverse enough. If you're this, you know, offensive wunderkind that Gase was labeled as, uh, you should be able to do these types of things. And it's clear that he just doesn't have the ability to do so.
2: I think you're right, too. That's another thing with the Giants. A lot of people attribute it to Daniel Jones doesn't have weapons. There's no Saquon. It's easier to make excuses. It's much Mm -hmm. easier to make the excuses and just say, well, we have no separation. We have a But you're still doing the same silly mistakes. Just because you don't have the talent doesn't mean you have to force feed the only shitty talent that you have in Evan Ingram. But they did it time in and time out. It costed them game in and game out. Mm -hmm. Let's go to a guy, though, that that Pat thinks uh, helped string together one of the best first-year runs or or franchise-changing runs in the postseason that we've had in recent memory here. Tom Brady is getting a lot of credit from Pat here. Uh, he, He thinks he has a big a big part to do with the Bucks' success this season. If you didn't see guys on Twitter, this came about last night. I was a little out of it, but I was more than willing to help share the floor with this. So as an agreement, we talked some New York football, and then these two would hash it out. So, Pat, I'll let you have it first. Tell me what Brady's doing right for the Bucks, and then, Canby, let me know why the defense is doing it better.
1: So I, I wouldn't argue that – my argument was not that the defense isn't the strength of the team right now. They are playing great. They're playing at an extremely high level. My point goes back to what we talked about in the summer. when we Remember we had a discussion about what, what percentage of the Patriots' success was Bill Belichick, which was Tom Brady. And I, I sort of shifted into the 70-30 Brady camp only because, I mean, his world-class leadership style is the only thing that can connect. I keep using the word liaison. That's all I could think of between the message of the head guy getting that through the 53 men in the locker room. That doesn't happen without a player to sort of transfer that and apply it and enforce it day in and day out. I think Brady has done that in Tampa Bay. I think the team is maturing before our eyes. If you you don't see it that these kids are getting more and more excited and more and more confident as they continue to go on this run, and you don't think a big part of it is that they look in the huddle and see TB12 – and they're held accountable every single day in practice, guys, we got Tom; Like, we have a chance. I, I could see it growing. I didn't love Tampa coming into the playoffs. I didn't think they played a great game against Washington. I thought yesterday, now they took advantage of turnovers. They don't win the game without that. But something about what I watched in that game yesterday makes me think that they're not done with this run yet. Um, you know, I saw Brady in the, in the huddle when they were taking a knee. He's talking through his offensive line. He goes, I love you guys. He goes, but we got a lot of fucking work to do. That's what he said in the huddle. He mouthed it. I don't know if anyone picked up on that, but that fired me up. I want to run through a wall for Tom Brady. I know I know, a lot of AFC East fans sort of just can't despise the guy. Hey, it is what it is. But I don't think the Bucks are anywhere near this position without Tom, not because of necessarily his arm or his quarterback play, but more for his leadership. That was my point.
0: All right. Now, let me just start off by saying that Tom Brady, greatest quarterback ever, yada, yada, yada. And that's coming from a Jets fan. I finally uttered it, came out of my mouth. OK, I am tired of the Tom Brady sycophants that want to give him credit for everything, though. Uh, let's go to the board here and just think about what, what the Bucs were at last year. They had Jameis Winston as their quarterback. He threw 30 interceptions. All right? 30 interceptions. That would deflate any offense. So you could have stuck uh, Ryan Tannehill in that backfield. You could have stuck Matt Stafford in that backfield. You could have stuck any quarterback that couldn't turn the ball over 30 times would have helped that offense. What Tom Brady has done, in my opinion, is that he has, with his, his reputation, he has managed to get mercenaries to come follow him to the Bucks. He got Sue to come there. He got Gronk to come there. He got AB to come there. He got Fournette to come there. Those are pretty big pieces. All right. They're older, but they're still very valuable. I would give more credit to the general manager, Jason Light, and his draft. And I know you love the draft, Pat. 20, 2019, he gets Devin White. Devin White, I think, is more valuable than damn near anybody on that team, because he, so he so runs bad. around with his hair on fire every single game. I think that guy is exceptional. The fact that he isn't all pro or the fact that he didn't make the Pro Bowl is atrocious. It tells you how, how much of a joke the Pro Bowl is. The fact that Evan, I mean, Evan Ingram made the Pro Bowl, that destroys it to begin with. But Devin White didn't make it, which is insane. The guy had over 140 tackles and nine sacks. That's unheard of from the middle linebacker position. You got Sean Bunting in 2019. You got Mike Edwards in 2019. You got Scotty Miller in 2019. In 2020, you have Tristan Wirfs, you have Antoine Winfield Jr., and you have Tyler Johnson. In 2018, you have Ronald Jones, you have Carlton Davis, you have Kappa for their offensive line. They've killed it in the draft. Then you bring in Bruce Arians last year to help input this system, and you bring in Todd Bowles, who... Not a great head coach, but the guy knows what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball. And they went from middling defense to a top six, top five defense. All right. So I think, you know, Tom Brady has done exceptional in the sense of there's nobody that will ever do what he's done at his age. We'll never probably match. I I venture to say we'll never match the Super Bowls. And I, I think that we he, he's done all those things. He's great. Yes. Quarterbacks. If you're not a good leader as a quarterback, I would venture to say that you don't stick around very long. Personally, I think that that's a thing. The quarterback position is a leadership position. You need to be a good leader in order to be good at that position, in my opinion, right? Drew Brees, I think, great leader. You have uh, Aaron Rodgers, quirky, what have you but people will die for Aaron Rodgers, all right? Those guys are at the top. Mahomes, Josh Allen. Western New York would die for Josh Allen, all right? I know it for a fact. All my family, you know, my, my in-laws, everything like that. So leadership is, is one thing that comes with the position. If you're not a good leader, if you're not a capable leader, if you can't get men to follow you in that locker room, you won't succeed for long. So I, I, I know Tom Brady's good. I know he's done very well, especially as a 43-year-old. Nobody will match it. I just – I can't attribute the Buck's success on the defensive side of the ball or being able to do those types of things to Tom Brady. I, he hasn't played a snap on the defense. He has turned around the offense because he's efficient, he can throw the deep ball still, and he doesn't turn the ball over. I'll give him credit for that. I just can't give him credit for the, the whole mindset change in the sense on the defense.
1: Yeah, we we can agree to disagree. And and obviously, quarterback is a leadership position. Every NFL quarterback is, in theory, a very good leader. Tom is just super, super, super elite, like Marine-level elite. And I think his pursuit of excellence and work ethic every single day in practice, uh, every single day in the offseason, I think he made every member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at least 1% better. And without that, I don't think they have a chance to get over the hump and be a championship team. And if that's all he did, that's why, I, that's why I'm saying it's Brady. I'm not saying that Brady made a defense from an 80 overall to 100. I'm saying he made everyone individually 1% better, at least when he walked in the door and when they saw how a professional conducts himself. I think that team has had a good roster for years. I think they've kind of floundered a little bit from an immaturity standpoint. I'm actually not a huge Arians fan. I even think the staff has gotten better because of Brady's presence. So that, that, that's, that was my take. I'm not trying to credit. They would have been a good team this year with a lot of good quarterbacks. I just don't know if there would have been enough influence to the other guys on the active roster and on the staff to, to take them to that final hurdle. And I think they're probably going to win one more game and, uh, and get to the big dance if you had to ask me right now.
0: I I, I understand what you're saying. I just think that it comes down to more of a, and confidence plays a huge role. Uh, You have an offense that was absolutely dejected, I'm sure. And a defense that probably was dejected at the fact that they had to deal with all those turnovers last year. And all I'm saying is that you could, could have brought in anybody that was just efficient with the football. I think, and you know, I, I think that, they could have, they would have jumped through a wall for that person because they knew that it wasn't Jameis just hurling missiles back there to the other team every other pass. So uh, I think that that defense has taken strides on its own. I think that the offense obviously has improved because of the fact when you're able to bring in three guys that were all pro at one point in time or Pro Bowlers at one point in time, and Indama Kinsu, you know, you're going to improve. From their leader, no, not Antonio Brown, but from from their leadership standpoint, from Sue, from Fournette, from from uh, from Gronk. So I, I think you brought in veterans at multiple areas of the defense and offense because of Brady, and absolutely Brady Brady's leadership does help. But I don't I don't want to credit him with. Turning around the entire thing, I, I know he will get the credit from mainstream media. He absolutely will. He's he's Tom Brady, but I, I don't see it as a as a they couldn't have done it with without Brady. I, I think that if they brought in a capable quarterback that didn't turn the ball over thirty times or over thirty times, uh, they they certainly could have seen this coming as well.
1: Well, that's so quarterback. Uh, through, if if the up? Bucks move on from if the Bucks move on from, on from Brady, let's say they. Let's say they make the Super Bowl this year and lose a tough game to Kansas City, for example. Right. Uh, they bring in a good quarterback next season because Brady either retires, goes to a different team, moves on. They Isn't he under he contract
0: for one more year, though?
1: I don't even know. This is a hypothetical. Okay, like, gotcha. You don't think the Bucks regress if they lose Brady and bring in another good quarterback?
0: Depends on the quarterback.
1: Okay. Well...
2: Well, so like I was going to say, though, that same quarterback who threw 30 interceptions last year threw a touchdown last night. So there you go. <laughs> Jameis <laughs> had a great game.
1: game.
2: <laughs> baby, and he's the he's good player.
0: in do- small doses. Good I, in small I, doses. I didn't
2: see that Buck snippet of him in the huddle, but I did see Drew Brees mouth to Winston that it's his team or whatever. So that was something in itself. That was sad. Jameis is on a one-year deal. That I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So they have him again. So that that was a – Bold statement.
0: Give give it give it to Taysom Hill. I want to see Taysom get the, get the. I
2: I did make a comment that Tom Brady though looks more that like if you look at Breeze, you look like that could have been his last game. Like he just looks old enough, he's worn done. down enough. He's done. Brady's not too far behind him in age, and it you looks know. like he has another five. six... Brady's <laughs> older than him. That's what I'm saying. Like like in, even in terms of the NFL years, like you know, like he's he's got the same mileage and he looks fucking fine so it's nuts if it, that's even something crazier to think about because he's definitely coming back next year based on the success he had this year and just the fact that he looks like a fucking unstoppable force let's talk about this real quick let's fast forward and talk about this weekend <laughs> matchups and touch on him a little bit because I do think it's interesting that I attribute obviously now people on the show who have listened to me know I have money on the bucks and the bills and ideally I want the two together mainly because Bills mafia deserves to have a Super Bowl and experience it, and in Tampa they'll actually have more than the capacity that they have in Buffalo right now, and then Tampa would be able to host a game. And uh, I think it would be fun to see Tom back in one with a different with a different team. But now the Bucks beat the Packers earlier this season, scored thirty eight unanswered after going down ten nothing, and large in part was because of that defense. I mean, if the Bucks win this week and, and Early on, I thought maybe with how Rodgers and Devontae have been playing and the Packers and themselves, it have to be a shootout. But I'm looking at this now the, the, kind of the same way you guys have just been saying it. I mean, this Bucks D has got to win this game. I mean, without a doubt. They're going into Lambeau. They had two picks on Rodgers. Had a pick six. You saw how vital interceptions that turn into turnover uh, that turn into points were this weekend. The Ravens Bills games changed in a heartbeat. Granted, that's 100 and whatever yards, and that's drastic. But still, even that second pick, the Devin White pick, it changes things. If you take turnovers and put into points and get a team off schedule, it changes things. So I think that's how the Bucks are going to have to win. Pat, do you not see it that way? Do you think it's going to have to be more Brady versus Rogers?
1: So. No, so that game, I did a pretty extensive breakdown on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that Bucks packers game. I actually bet the Bucks that day. And mm-hmm. what I remember about the game, the Packers lost the game in similar fashion that they've lost all of their games in the last few years. It's just, it's getting overwhelmed by a big run. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean run as a, I mean run in a basketball sense. Like literally like a Golden State Warriors 20-0 run. That's the kind of stuff that happens against Green Bay. The yes. floor is not great at stopping an Avalanche. Now that first game, started about as bad as it could possibly be for the books. Right. They didn't get, they got the ball first three and out Packers marched, touchdown seven zip three and out. Again, Packers have the ball up seven, nothing. Everything is going great. At that point, Bowles said F this I'm coming after this guy. And they ran a series of blitzes from that point on to the rest of the game that the Packers had no answer for Rogers couldn't tell where it was coming from. The disguises were great. I still don't think they'll have those answers. Uh, I don't think the Bucs are going to waste any time in base this week. I think they're going to start the game super aggressive. They're going to come after them. I'm not a huge fan of the Packers defense. I think you can move the ball on them. Uh, I I just think it's going to be an efficient victory for Tampa Bay.
0: Yeah, I uh, I tend to actually think the Packers are going to pull this off, and I think the main – I, there's few places I really think that home field advantage matters, and I really buy into Lambeau most of the time. I really do. Um, obviously, it was, isn't the same as it was with Favre, and Rodgers hasn't been like undefeated there, but I, I think this is, this is the first time that Rodgers is hosting. Uh, they're hosting the NFC Championship game, um, and it's in Lambeau. It's going to be really cold. I know Brady played in New England. I know he's used to the cold. I just think that it's going to be a different atmosphere. Uh, That offense has clicked. Obviously, the Packers offense, arguably the best. It is the best in the league. Um, The thing that I think we can't overlook, though, is that the Packers defense has improved since they last played the Buccaneers. Um, Just from the sense of being able to... Limit other teams a bit more with the run. They, I mean, Patton's really, you know, he loves the that nickel defense. He doesn't adjust to it. Can the Buc- Buccaneers run the football on the Packers? Uh, collective wisdom would say yes, uh, because of their offensive line. I just think that there will be enough opportunity for the defense to get turnovers. I think that Brady's going to be due to throw a pick last night. He had a couple of bad throws. I think he got lucky with, with not getting picked off. I think that Jairi Alexander is going to do enough to take away Mike Evans or whoever the number one threat's going to be. Um, and I think that Zadarius Smith is going to have to have a huge game, uh, along with Preston Smith and just being able to keep the edges, uh, and keep Brady under duress, uh, Pettin, from what I've seen, you know he he's kind of in the same vein. At least blitzing like Bowles, he likes to blitz, but not obviously at the highest rate and not, not as successful. Uh, but I do think that the Packers' defense is going to do enough. They're going to need to get turnovers. I I think that Lambo and the weather might help them enough. And I think the Packers are gonna are gonna win. They're gonna eke it out, but I think they're gonna win.
2: I like that. So. You guys are on different sides there. We'll see if you're on different sides for the next game as well. So, a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs right now. We don't know if Chad Henne um, is gonna be slinging the rock or not for them. But either way, it looks like they're fully intent to uh, keep on keeping on. So you have the Kansas City Chiefs. They're still three-point favorites on the at home here against the Buffalo Bills, who just seem like an absolute wagon, figuratively and literally. Um, I'm a fan of the Bills here. Campy, I know you're a fan of the Bills here. Pat, we'll start with you again. Are you also a fan of the Bills?
1: Uh, not really. I'm a little bit over uh Bill's Mafia. No offense to Campy's lovely wife. She's one of the Bills Mafia members that I have respect for, but I kind of see a lot of hillbillies jumping off ladders and breaking tables and actually kind of pissing me off a bit. Uh so I'm ready for them to go home, actually. And uh I'm going to break down these two games in my podcast on Coach's Corner on SoundCloud later this week in more detail, but part of the reason I dislike Buffalo is similar to why I dislike the Rams. I think the Rams, I'm sorry, the Packers, Packers had kind of some key sequences in the game that made that victory a little softer than it looked on paper. Uh, I think the same thing with with Buffalo. I mean, sure, it looks like kind of a, a routine, a ho-hum victory, but I thought at this, in spite of how rattled Lamar was early in that game and how bad the Ravens' offensive line played and how much better the Bills' defense played, they were flying around defensively. That was one play away from being 10-10 going into the fourth. And I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I think the Bills have kind of skated by a bit more than it appears in these first two playoff games. I think they're very talented. I don't think – that. I actually think they'd be a better dome team the way they want to play. The weather really hurt them in, in, in the Ravens game. I'm not sure what the weather's going to be like in Kansas City. But uh, to me, uh, you know, if if Mahomes is healthy and playing, I, I, I am not in the camp of picking against the Chiefs. Uh, how cool was it that Chad Henney was able to step into that game and not only play well but have the whole playbook – at his disposal. That speaks also to Eric Biannimi. They didn't run base stuff when they went to Henny. They they, were, they went deep into the arsenal. They ran everything that they normally run. like that. To me, that was one of the coolest moments of the year for Eric Biannimi, and that's something he could really put on, on his header on his next head coaching interview. Um, I, I think the Chiefs, it means something to them. The Honey Badger had a great game. You could tell how he gets into like a psychotic trance at times on the field. He's not the most talented player in the league anymore, but – it means something to him. I think it means something to a lot of those guys on defense for Kansas city. And I think the bills run is going to come up a a game short.
0: First of all, on behalf of bills mafia, I want to say, how dare you, how dare you just take their, their name and sully it with your disrespect. Uh, and my beautiful wife would obviously give you a talking to, but, uh, I think it's the bills. I think it's the bills all the way. I think Mahomes will play. I think the bills are still going to take him. Uh, I think a lot of their slowish start necessarily has to do with the fact they've played two very good defenses two weeks in a row by and run by very good coordinators. Matt Eberflus for the Colts and and Wink Martindale with the Ravens. They are two top 10 defenses, top five-ish around some of uh, the Colts, I think, uh, and I think yes, that weather certainly impacted the Bills, but it also clearly impacted the Ravens more so. Uh, I think with a lot of those, I mean, the snaps were brutal, obviously with the center. And Jackson does not have did not have does not have the same arm as Allen by any means. And Justin Tucker couldn't make a kick. I mean, who who would have thought that Justin Tucker wasn't going to be automatic? Um, so you know, home field advantage certainly played a role in Buffalo. I think that the Bills' defense has shown enough, and I think they have more impact players than the Chiefs' defense. I mean, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, probably the best safety duo in the league, or if not top three. Uh, I think that Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano have shown enough that they'll be able to help out in those zone drops and just blitzing in those different areas where, Mahomes will be able to try to sneak into Kelsey. Um, and Trey White is going to have to play unconscious against, you know, Tyreek Hill and, and help out with all those speed guys, McCole uh, Hardman and Demarcus Robinson. The biggest thing is going to be, you know, can the Bills defense adjust with all the motions, all those little niche plays that the Chiefs have between Reed and Biennemi. And, I think they are fast enough to adjust. I think it's a different game than when they played way back in, I think, week six. Um, I think that the Bills have been just rolling. Uh, It clicked for me where I think that they could go to the Super Bowl and actually win it when they had that December slate of just playing in prime time. Uh, The lights are not too bright for Josh Allen. Uh, They have succeeded at that time slot for quite some time. Buffalo deserves a ring. They deserve a Super Bowl. The Bills mafia has waited far too long. Bring out the tables, light them on fire, jump through them. Bills by seven Sunday if night.
1: If one of us goes 0 2, we have to wear a dunce cap on the next.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Can't wait to see you in it.
2: I'm glad I'm not
1: making any picks. <laughs>
2: no, I'm kidding. Well, I will say this about that last meeting. So it was on the road in Buffalo. Tyreek Hill did not do very much, but I will say that they obviously utilized Tyreek Hill in a lot of unique ways, mostly out of the slot.
0: May I May I add, and I and I will say this, this will be very controversial, but I'm going all in here. I will argue that Josh Allen has had a, a better year than Patrick Mahomes, and I think he will be the better quarterback on, on Sunday night. I think he will actually outplay Patrick Mahomes. I think that's the only way that the Bills win, and I actually think he will do it.
2: 100%. A- and... Mahomes is a little dinked up. We don't know if we're getting 100% Mahomes again. Right. We don't even know if he's going to play yet. We're doing this on Monday. show.
0: He'll up. play. I, I I think they'll say rub some dirt on it. He'll play.
1: Uh, well, I, it, the Bills game plan changed because in that first regular season game, that was an absolute war, by the way. I think it was like a weekday day game. It was one of those. Yep. Cool
0: Bad weather. It was like, yeah, it's raining. It was a really
1: fun game, but the, the Bills played too high. They played quarters, cover two, a little bit of manager too deep. And the Chiefs ran it down their throat. They said, yeah. "We're not going to throw against this look. We like our numbers. We're going to pound it." And they re- they so successfully now. No, nope.
0: I mean, I don't know. You know, the biggest thing yeah. will be if ever you know, Ceh comes back. or well, he had
2: 160 yards the last time they played. Almost had 200 yards rushing against the Bills. So he was. A big- I know
0: Pat's
1: not the biggest fan of him. Yeah, I think Wayne Williams is fine. He played. But, a, a you know, that's the side. Team but to him. Pat's point,
2: that's what they did yet. Uh, that's what they did yesterday. In their matchup, they came out and started running the damn ball with Darrell Williams right off the rip. If they're not gonna like a look, and that's the crazy thing about this Chiefs' offense and just what they're able to do, they're smart enough and believe in their guys enough that they're gonna take the chances with their numbers and, and the players that they got, they like their offensive line enough. They'll utilize Kelsey in that play action. I still think Kelsey has been too quiet. I'm worried about him erupting this next game because he just does it this is what he he had over
0: 100 yards last game i think that's the standard for him but i I get what you're saying i
2: mean eight receptions 100 yards and that's still again that's like the kelsey standard it's his own number i mean the guy finished top three in the league in receiving he's a freaking tight end like when the touchdowns start piling up is when things get concerning and i wouldn't be surprised if that starts to happen
0: defensively uh, you know poyer and and hyde have to play uh, you know, they have to play very well. I think they will. I think they've shown that. And, you know, Taron Johnson, that guy just keeps on making plays in, you know, in huge moments. And he's done great things. And that 101 return for the touchdown was a game breaker. He had one. I believe it was against the Steelers. He had that pick, uh, you know, to, to kind of sure up that game as well. Uh, he just has a knack to kind of make a big play, and I, I like his ability, and I think he'll he'll do something again uh, this Sunday as well.
1: I would love to be in that Bill's coaching suite right now and here. Do they believe now that they actually have the faster horse in the race in terms of the offenses go? Um, are they going to let it go and say, let's go, we'll shoot it out with you? Because the first matchup, they clearly wanted to shorten the game. These long extended drives, like I said, all too high. Do they apply that plan or do they say, let's line it up. We're going to be aggressive. And we think our guy can be better than your guy for this one day. I'm very curious to see what decision they make there.
0: I, and the other thing to to remember, I think the bills offensive line is, is better than the Chiefs' D line. I think the bills offensive line is better than the chiefs O line. I think that they're going to do enough. I think they're going to limit Chris Jones. Frank Clark has been invisible. Um You know, I I don't think that the Chiefs defense, and I I love Honey Badger, and you you talked about it to start, Pat. I mean, he just is a gamer no matter what he makes something happen. Um, And, you know, he's always a danger when you're lining up against him. But the Bills, man, you got Josh Allen, you got Diggs, you got Beasley, you got Brown, and you got Gabriel Davis. It's tough to cover all that, and... I don't know. Uh, they were down Breland from a concussion, I believe, too. Their corners—they're light on their corners. I think it's going to be a tough, a tough uh, sledding for the Chiefs' defense.
1: Would you agree that the Bills have to play their best game of the
0: absolutely, absolutely? I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, the Colts—the Colts game. Colts gave everything they could to win that game. They really did. Uh, And then the Bills should have won it off of that fumble. I still don't understand how that was not a fumble or not ruled a fumble. And then the Bills' defense steps up huge and the weather kind of plays a role. I think that Allen and the offense are going to be chomping at the bit to redeem themselves from that outing. I I think they will. I think that Allen's going to outplay Mahomes. And I think that... uh, that um it, it's gonna be bills. It's gonna be bills, it's gonna come up bills based off of just that defense I think is gonna do enough. And I think the offense, you know, Allen's gonna play out outplay Mahomes. That's it.
2: Well, we don't need to go any further. I yeah. like it, guys. I like that a lot. Well, thank you guys for coming on. This was dope. This was awesome. Uh too long, too long, four months yeah. too long. This will definitely happen again. We'll get more things going. Um we have plenty to talk about with these New mm. York teams. Maybe a little more specific. We don't have to keep things as general, but who knows? Maybe we do some Super Bowl stuff. We do post-Super Bowl stuff. We could talk draft, whatever we do. We'll be in touch. Just stir some controversy on Twitter again. and just forced my hand to get you guys on the show. <laughs>
1: thanks again for coming on, guys. Uh, thanks, Rob. Looking forward to coming on next week to preview uh, Chiefs Bucks.
0: <laughs> I want to see Pat in that hat, so looking forward to it.
1: All right,
2: big shout-out to those two guys for coming on and joining me to talk all things football here. We have a monster episode for you guys. Still a huge part of the episode coming up here are Best Bets with Benny Ricciardi. Benny is here, of course, on behalf of FTN Network and FTN Bets. This is going to be a monster episode, like I just said, guys. You can check out me and Benny's interview and discussion of Best Bets on YouTube as well as the Twitter page. But need I say more without a further ado? Here he is, Benny Ricciardi. All right, so I have the great pleasure of welcoming on for probably not the last time, but I guess this is the second to last time. We're running out of games to talk about here, Benny Uh, Benny Ricciardi is here thank you for coming on as always Benny we're doing something different for the people who followed us on YouTube we have a nice little stream setup going on here they should hear us both clearly the people who listen to the podcast have heard you fine they've heard those pipes just fine but we're trying to give the people who are watching this at home a better experience so Benny welcome on again thanks for coming on how's
3: everything been with you
2: yeah, not too bad.
3: I am uh, back down at the beach right now for another week. My kid's supposed to start school back up next week, so we'll see if uh, see if they change that again. They were supposed to start up last week, so we went home, and then we found out that they were not starting up, so we came back down here. So I'll have my good microphone and shit next week when I'm home, too. So everything will be better next week, but uh, we should be good today. Hopefully everything works out well.
2: Well, I think you sound fine. So don't even don't even worry about that. I think you look great too. You got some nice lighting there. Uh, It was a little dark before, but it looks much better. The people can see you and they can hear you fine. So that's great, Uh, Benny. To get the people caught up, the the loyal listeners of this show have been making bank off us all season long. Right now is no different. Right now is no different. We'll pull it up for under the screen here. 63% regular season. It took us 17 weeks to have a losing week. We talked about it all last week. Losing week, 5-6-1. and one. And you know something? How do we bounce back? 4-0 and oh in game picks, Benny. 4-0. Oh, we promised the people winners. We gave it to them. 5-1 total. Our teaser hit, of course, as it always does. The over didn't get there in that Browns-Chiefs game, but... I mean, we were all over the board. Your picks didn't necessarily go four and zero, though, because I know you kind of like the Saints more than the Bucks. I on, yeah, I
3: was on the Saints side of that game, so I—I lo- I was gonna say I was three and one on my uh my main game because I lost the Saints game. I was on that side,
2: but you were on Browns ten, so that was our play. We had the Browns ten. Um, I made sure here. I'll, I'll throw up the picks underneath. So I had. Bra- I was them.
3: definitely on the Browns side of it, and I definitely won both games on Saturday. Saturday I had a very good day. Nice. Well, and we had said we felt good about Saturday, but it was a weird
2: Sunday last week. It was a weird Sunday this week, too. Uh, We talked about the Browns-Chiefs game. Got killed on that over because of Mm -hmm. that leaping touchdown fumble that got –
3: whatever, whatever right. happened there, that too, by the way, we got to talk about that at some point. I
2: remember it as Austin Safarian Jenkins. He's the first one. I remember there was the uproar about it on, and that was with your jets against the Patriots. I'm pretty sure this whole thing started. The jets could have beat
3: the Pats and they didn't because of that. So see, I'm this is how I know I'm way older than you. It's for me, the guy that comes up, anybody who's in the, uh, the 35 and over category over there, I remember the Leon let play is the one that oh. And not the one, not the one on Christmas with the in the snow where he touched it. There was one where he got ran down. I think it was by like Don the Beebe. Super Bowl. Yeah, was it the Super Bowl? Yeah, Don Beebe ran down from behind by Don Beebe, and he knocked the ball out, and the ball went yeah. up. So that's the one that I thought of right away when this happened. Um, but again, like I said, I'm a little older than you, so we're, we're different generations. That might be why. I no, I'm
2: a big Bills fan here right now. At least this season, I need to make sure I know my Bills history. That's an important one. They ended up getting blown out in that game, but that was a big effort play there. That was the Cowboys, right? Yep. The Cowboys. the Cowboys, yeah. The Cowboys in that game. Well, the Cowboys are not in the playoffs this week <laughs> or this year, or are they ever going back? It's,
3: decade, probably, right? it's been a while for the Cowboys. Like,
2: 25 years. I think that was probably the last time they were even
3: there. So. I think they were there, but that, like, they haven't won a playoff game. In, like, honestly, I think it's over a decade. I'd I have to double check those numbers, but I feel like it's a long, long time.
2: Good, and keep it that way. There is no need <laughs> for things to change. No one's in a rush for the Cowboys to do anything anytime soon. Um, Benny, speaking of teams, before we get to the playoff teams, I want to get back on track. I forgot I was going to ask you. Your Jets have made some moves and are linked to something. They're in the headlines for good reasons, which I'm not really used to. So you, with, I'm not really used to this. What are you talking about? You? <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. So let's start with Salah. Okay. Uh, me and you both kind of felt like enemy would have been a good guy to get, but I think, I, at least on my side, I have no problem with Salah as a 1A, 1B type of setup. Where were you at on him?
3: Was he kind of a, a favorite of yours to begin with? No, I mean, listen, I wanted enemy in there. I think, all right, so let's go. let's go from the beginning here. So the numbers that I have and the numbers that I use when I do all this are very skewed towards offensive passing football. Because if you look at what has proven to be winning football games in the last couple years, it is the ability to pass the ball and on the defensive side, the ability to stop the pass. So if you're a team that can throw the ball really well, protect your quarterback, like all the things that go along with being a good passing team, you're going to win a lot of football games. On the defensive side of the ball, if you're a team that can stop other teams from passing, you're going to be a pretty good football team. And I know that that makes it sound like the run game doesn't matter and all that stuff, but really, technically, it kind of doesn't. So to start with, I wanted an offensive mind because that is where you get the most leverage, in my opinion, is having a good offensive coach that can scheme a way to make your offense a high-scoring offense. So the offensive coach like the enemy was what I wanted at the beginning. Now, again, the second thing I said, though, is being able to stop other teams from passing. That's the other side of the equation. There's an offense and a defensive side of the equation. So if you're not going to give me the guy who's going to help my offense, giving me the guy that should really, really help my defense is probably the second best thing there that they could do. So I am fine with that. And the other thing I like is that whenever you have a head coach that doesn't work out, you can't bring in another head coach. That's just like the first head coach. You need to go in a different direction. So, Adam Gase not that he was an offensive genius but he was because he wasn't yeah like that is that was his pedigree right like he's an offensive side of the football guy he's also a very shitty leader of men like everybody in that locker room absolutely hated him yeah you do not have those problems now you went the complete opposite which I like you went to somebody on the defensive side of the football which again not my number one choice but I'm okay with it. You can win. There are defensive football coaches who win football games. Bill Belichick is the defensive football coach. Fucking guy's got a whole bunch of championships, won a lot of football games. You can win with a defensive mind there. I don't know how he's going to be offensively or who's going to wind up running the offense until they actually get all that squared away. Um, supposedly he's bringing a lot of the guys from San Francisco with him, but I don't think that's official. The is the guy he's trying to bring from San Fran. Yeah. Uh, Well, they just signed him today, so all that other stuff I don't think is official yet. So until it's official, I'm going to hold off on – I'm digging too deep into that, right? Because we've seen shit like this happen before. But for the most part, like I said, you went with a guy who is a player's coach. Everybody who played for him has come out on Twitter. Like even Richard Sherman was like, congratulations, Jets. You made a good move. You're getting a great one. You know what I mean? Like nobody (laughs) – one of his players – and that's the most important thing. Like one of my favorite things – that I can tell people all the time. And one of the things that I take pride in, and you would be somebody who could agree to this is that when you're a coach, the way your players view you, in my opinion, tells me everything I need to know about somebody who I don't know as a coach. You know what I mean? And you know, when you play for a coach that you like and you enjoy and you respect, like you're going to, you're going to go through a wall for that guy. And from everything I hear, that's the kind of coach that the Jets just got. So I'm hoping at the very least it starts changing the culture because that's what needs change first. Now, again, I don't expect them to be as good as San Francisco was because he does not have the pieces right now on the Jets to make that happen. So they need to also deal with the personnel side of it, but I think that you at least got a guy in there that can make things happen if you give him the right pieces. It still comes down to, though, you need players to win. I don't care how great a coach you are, it helps if you have good players. It helps a lot if you have great players. And right now the Jets don't have – Great players on really either side of the ball. There's a couple of good ones, but this roster still needs a lot of work.
2: Yeah, no. So I think you're right. I think the big thing with Salah too. You know, the guys are going to play for him. It's an effort thing too. I mean, they're mm-hmm. going to give it, you know, give it their all. I, I saw that big change with the Giants last year with Betcher to <sighs> Patrick Graham. For me, that was the big thing. I, I think mm-hmm. it's just having guys that want to be out there every day and play for the coach that they have, which the Jets did not want to do with Adam Gase. But I do think it's ironic that they. Hire a defensive head coach, and now they're tied to potentially one of the most dynamic young quarterbacks. That, mind you, this couldn't be a better time for Deshaun Watson to be linked to the Jets because just like a week or two ago, we were laughing at each other with curvier enthusiasm gifts mm-hmm. about how, you know, he died because Deshaun Watson didn't get drafted by the Jets. So it's yeah. just straight out curb. But let, let's go to the specifics of it because it seems like this might actually happen. They're about four to one at some books on possibly landing him and there's a lot of crazy trades out there right now obviously to do with a lot of the first round picks you just talked about how the Jets need a lot of help it's not going to be just mm-hmm. one pick. they need some help but if you're going to get Watson which I don't think would answer your problems really because you still have Darnold you got to deal with that why give up all those firsts so wh- how many firsts would it take would it take these firsts do you mind if they're future first, and then what the hell would you even do with Sam, Benny? I, I mean, does this make any sense
3: to you? I mean, to me, like the number two pick in the draft here has to be included here. I don't think Houston is going to do it, and I think it's going to take more than that. Like I heard, I heard either three first or two first and Sam. The only thing that makes sense to me is two first and Sam. Like if you're trading Darnold's. And you're giving up the two first and Houston wants that. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Now, you didn't ask the other question though. It was like, do I want this to happen? Like, do I want the Sean Watson? Absolutely. absolutely. Like the, the guys. Is- like, it. That was the rhetorical question. I, of course I mean, you
0: want him. <laughs>
3: like I want him, but really it comes down to like, are you willing to mortgage the future for him? If you go get him, you're committing cap space. So that's a lot of money that you're committing to him. You're committing draft capital because, again, you're giving up the number two pick in this year's draft, without a doubt, and probably at least one if not two more first-round draft picks that maybe they turn into players, maybe they don't. But, I mean, listen, not having three first-round draft picks is a big deal. Now, again, if you go get your quarterback, he could be the quarterback in New York for a decade. You know what I mean? Like, he, So is it worth it? I, I don't think it's crazy. You're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. I don't think there's a second quarterback in this draft that's going to be like a transcendent talent that you could get at number two. I think there is a group of guys that maybe could be, but I don't think there's a surefire one that you, you pull the trigger on. So, I mean, do I want to show him Watson? like I'm obviously not going to be upset if the Jets go and get him. But, you know, the thing that I said to you was like we mortgaged our future for the quarterback a couple years ago the Sam Darnold trade. We basically built the Indianapolis Colts offensive line with the draft picks that we gave them so that we can move up in the draft to take Sam Darnold. It hasn't really worked out well for us, but you know what it's worked out really well for the team that got all the picks in the Indianapolis Colts. So I don't want to go ahead and do the same thing again. Like I like being the team that has the picks for me. The best case scenario here is the jets find a willing trading partner who gives them another pick in the top 10 somewhere of this year's draft and a couple seconds or a couple other picks down the road. I want us to gather picks so we can fill in the holes rather than give up a whole bunch of picks to fill in one hole and then still have all these other holes that we got to figure out. You know what I mean?
2: Well, and you also had told me, yeah, you've seen it done before. History repeats itself. And if you're the Jets, that history doesn't tend to be good. So try not to repeat that. Um, yeah i the jets have a lot of decisions to make and the more that they have the more i get concerned that they're going to mess it up eventually but joe's done a really good job i really like what joe douglas has done for honestly the first time
3: in about 20 years i have faith in the jets front office or at least enough faith in the jets front office that rather than automatically assume whatever they do is a bad move i'm actually giving them the benefit of the doubt of like all right let me let me try to figure out what they were looking at here or what they were seeing because so far they've Done a lot of good things lately, so we'll, we'll, knock on wood. Hopefully we can keep it going. I was wondering what you were doing. I thought you were killing a spider there for a second. It wasn't no, exactly. No, i knocking on wood that we don't turn back into the same old Jets right now. because It has been a pretty solid offseason. You know, I, I, I might even look forward to buying Jets tickets after the uh, – after all this stuff is done and we're allowed to to
2: remember you said that I'm going to remember you said that and ask you how many Jets games you've gone to wait before I get off topic and again we get to the NFL stuff and this weekend you you talk about mortgaging your future and that's a phrase me as a net fan has heard a lot over the last two weeks I mean a lot and I'm not taking the victory lap yet we still got to see Kyrie out there come tomorrow but what are your thoughts on the Nets? I saw your tweet yesterday. I think it was just KD is good, <laughs> something, no, it was, something It was actually
3: KD is filthy because <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean yeah. they have they have three of the best individual one on one players in basketball on that team right now. Kyrie Irving is nearly impossible to keep in front of you. James Harden has been the most unguardable player in the league for ten years. And the reason I said KD is filthy is he literally crossed the man up went to the hole, stutter stepped, and had the guy like knees shaky, and then just pulled up from about 15 feet away and just straight, it was straight water. And I was sitting there thinking to myself like, as a basketball coach, if I had a kid who was guarding that man and turned around and looked at me for like, coach, what did I do wrong on that possession? (laughs) I don't have anything to, like, I can't tell you. you. You were down, he crossed, you beat him to the spot. He made another move. You tried to beat him to the next spot. You have your hand up as he shot the ball. The guy's seven foot and just feathery soft jump shots. So score with the handle. Like, oh God, God. So there's, there's like, if I, if you, you know, when you play NBA 2K and you like create a player, like your creative player is like Kevin Durant. Like he's the tallest guy on the floor. He's got all the skills all the way up to 99. Like the man is just ridiculous. And he's only one of three people you have to work. Like that team is unguardable at this point in time. They're, they're unguardable. Andre Jordan lost 37
2: minutes last night and guarded Giannis. They didn't even need to put one of them on Giannis. And that's that was a big factor in that game. Like, I mean, they, as much as people said, they don't really have anyone there aside from those three. One, I said that Durant and Harden was clearly enough. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. you need more than that. But uh, they have guys. And if Jordan steps up, I don't think it'll be a regular season thing. But in big games, in the playoffs, he'll show up. And, I uh, dude, Harden and Durant they have this chemistry together that is uncanny. You can see they it already. I mean, they played together.
3: Yep. In like they were, you know, they were teammates. They were yes. teammates before. Like this is, and I think I, what I really like about this too is assuming Kyrie comes back and, and has his head right and all that stuff, which I, which I hope he does. Like you know, he's a Jersey kid. You always got to root for the Jersey kids. I remember watching that kid play in high school and being like, oh my God, this kid, this kid's a monster, right? Yeah. But, um, they're always going to be able to have two of those three guys on the floor. Like having three of them means that you could, you could rotate them around so that you always have two elite one-on-one playing scoring threats on the floor at any point in time during the game. Like that's just – that's t- no other team in the league has more than maybe one of those guys, and they have three of them that can just go – I mean, just look at, the, look at the game last night that they played, right? They played Milwaukee last night. KD and Harden both only had, like, 11 points at the half. And they both finished with, like, 30. That's so their game. You, you, That's you, their have game. Guys, you have guys that can just go off for, like, 20 points in a quarter. And you have multiple guys that can go off in 20 points in a quarter. Like, they're, they're, they're going to be tough, man. And then you have, like, DeAndre Jordan is the perfect player for that team, too, because he yeah. doesn't ever need the ball. Like, he do, you don't ever have to run a play for DeAndre Jordan. Oh, Harris, too? Joe yeah. Harris? Yeah, exactly. I get Harris's – there's a reason they gave him that contract. Is because really all they need Harris to do is stand in a corner and stretch the defense because you have to now decide, am I going to try to guard Harden, Haydee, and Kyrie straight up or am I going to have Joe Harris's man helping, which is going to mean that Joe Harris is going to have a whole bunch of wide-open looks on, you know, driving kicks. I mean, it's, this team is made – this team is made to win a championship. Whether or not they get there, I don't know. But their biggest roadblock in the East was probably going to be Milwaukee, and they handled them last night with only two of the three stars.
2: Respectfully, too. They kept Giannis open from three the entire game. It was great. It was a class act. And the other part of that, they're ISO guys, but they're also the best at making contested shots, at least Kyrie and KD. I don't know what Harden is, but you can play amazing defense on them, and they almost just get better.
3: It's that's at least the KD. That, like, if, you, if you watched the play when I was like KD is just filthy, like I was watching the game. If you were watching that game, you were sitting there and like as a basketball guy, I'm saying to myself, like, I don't know if that guy could have played any better defense on him. And it didn't matter. And like that is it's just such a defi- I've been there before, like as a yeah. player and as a coach, where there's a kid on the other team or there's a guy on the other team that you're guarding or that you're you know you're coaching against. We were just like, dude, I've tried every single thing I've learned in all my years of being a basketball guy. I can't stop this game. Like, I don't know how to – we've double teamed him. We've ran a second guy at him. We tried to run him off the three-point. Like, you know, you try all these different things, and when none of it is – sometimes just none of it work. Like, you just got to tip your hat to a guy. Remember when, remember when he was playing a couple of years ago for the Warriors and they beat – they beat um, the Clippers and it was like the post-game press conference and it was Patrick Beverley and Lou Williams. And they were like, you know, what, what, did you, what could you guys have done to stop like Kevin Durant? And they're like, we fucking tried. Like, we tried everything here. Like the guy is just good. You just got to tip your hat to sometimes. 6'11". I, 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 I lost that battle at birth. Like, I, that, that, yeah, that's no, without a doubt. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Is like he's the biggest guy on the floor a lot of the times, but he's also the most skilled. And it's like, you're not supposed to have that. You're not supposed to have that combination of, of talents. And that's what makes him so good is that, you know, he's got handles like a guard. He can shoot better than 99% of the rest of the league. And he's also one of the taller guys in the league that if you just saw him and didn't know who he was, you'd be like, oh, that's their starting center. And you're like, nah, it's basically like their shooting guard. Like, you
0: know,
3: yeah, the dude is nasty.
2: Yeah, I also love how Jeff Green fits on this team. But that was that was basketball. Yeah for the new york football show that was that was new york basketball talk i needed to get it out we hadn't talked about it we touched on it briefly the last time you were on but it it, it's been building up in me and they've had these two wins and no one wants to hear it anymore Stephen a is my guy i love it because he's backtracking on his takes and i i mentioned this today i love being a fan of teams that people kind of go against. And like, I'm not used to it because no one goes against the Mets. Like, no one gives a shit about the Mets. So it's like- course, man, I know how you
3: feel. <laughs> yeah, you
2: know, having people erupt, right? So angrily over the over the Nets and pour all these takes out as it happens. And no one's like, they're gonna be good. Everyone's gonna be like, it's not happening. And then you see them play well together. It's like, oh, where did everyone go?
1: No one wants to, no one wants to talk to you.
3: Man, when I was a kid, I had, um, so we had Nets tickets, second row behind the bench. Um, mm-hmm. over in the corner, like the Nets would sit on the one side. So we were behind the basket in the second row. Now, again, this is in like the 90s when those tickets were like 55, 60 bucks each. That same ticket right now is like $5,000. So, you know, my dad gave them up a long time ago. But when I was a kid, I used to go to Nets games all the time. So I've been a Nets fan for a very, very long time. We used to go like all the, you know, the, the Kerry Kittles and Jason Kidd days. Like I still have a drowsing fucking Petrovich jersey, who you probably don't even know who the fuck that is. but I, I remember. That. Yeah, if you ever look up, his, he was one of the few members that they had up there in the rafters right now. So, like Kenny Anderson, Drajan Petrovic, like Derek Coleman. I used to go to all those games with the Nets. So, I'm a little pissed that they left for Brooklyn, but the Nets are my, uh, my team when it comes to the NBA. So, I love
2: that. So, you're a Jersey guy. This is why we root for Kyrie. There's no, and especially as
3: Jersey guys,
2: there is nothing as much as I worry for Kyrie. You can't hate him. He's our guy. No. Our yeah, and he's held it
3: down basketball. Like, you know, like I said, I watched that kid play in high school. I remember seeing him play in high school. I remember seeing him play when he was a freshman in high school and being like, My god, this kid's legit. And then when he was a senior, it was like, My god, this kid's a monster. And you didn't know, even, he
2: didn't even have to play at Duke. He was so good, he didn't even have to really play at Duke. They're like, Yeah, let's just draft this guy. Yeah. He, he played for like two
3: weeks, got hurt, and they were like, Yeah, I mean, 50, and They were like, All
2: right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited for him to come back. I'm excited for him to come back. That's tomorrow. That's against the Cavs. But let's recap for the people again. Let's get in it. We, uh, we've we bantered long enough. This is a football picks show. We are very good at it, or at least I like to think we are. The numbers do at least. 63% of the regular season, undefeated in game picks last week. If you want to take our picks, you might as well do it because we're always right. 4-0, we promised you a winning week, and now we only have two games this week, Benny, and I don't think it's going to change. I plan on going 2-0 in both of them, but I have an issue before I get into any of them. I've never had this issue before. Both my future bets are uh, still alive on both sides. So I wanted Bucks Bills. I said Bucks Bills, but I kind of don't know how to act. I don't know how to treat this. We've been hedging. We've been doing well with it. Some different parlays. There's options. But my heart's in it. I want Bucks Bills. Before I get into anything crazy, I guess, let's dish out some advice there. What would you recommend... Do if you have a
3: futures on the bills or the bucks, how would you really handle something like this? All right. Well, you I mean you're in a different situation because you have one on the bills and the bucks. Now, is this let me ask a couple questions before I answer this? Is this um like individual AFC Super Bowl? Like what what are the actual bets here? Win the whole whole damn thing. Win the whole damn Super Bowl futures, you're saying. Yep. All Mm -hmm. right, what what number did you get Buffalo at and what number did you get to have a band? a very good question if you could hold off i'll go get you that for a second well, I been, you're asking me how i would hedge this i gotta know what the oh,
2: yeah. well, i, so well. I can tell you off the top of my head the payout's going to be around the same it's somewhere over 200 bucks for each side so either cool. side
3: it's pretty much there all right so for you. here's here's a couple questions i'll ask you i won't tell you like advice exactly what to do but here are the questions you should be asking yourself Okay. First off is, is the amount of money that you have to lose or the amount of money that you have to win life-changing? And that may that may mean different things to different people. You know, like if I'm a college kid, when I was a college kid, if I had a thousand dollar future that I could hedge against, I was probably hedging against it to make at least two or three hundred bucks because when I was a college kid, I was fucking broke. So like two or three hundred bucks would have been a big deal to me when I was in college. A thousand dollars would have been great, but- Even if I hedge off and still win 800, I'm pretty fucking happy, but I made sure that I, I limited my downside right now. If I had a future in my life that was a thousand dollars, like a hundred dollars at 10 to one to win a thousand, I probably wouldn't hedge it because losing a hundred dollars is not going to change my, you know, my economic status in the world. You know what I mean? And winning a thousand, which is nice is also probably just going to wind up going to my mortgage. So it's not like, it's not like that money is something I need. Now, if so, you start adding zeros to it, and it was now I'm going to win ten thousand. Well, then yeah, I'm probably going to hedge off a thousand or two thousand dollars somewhere. If it was I'm going to win a hundred thousand, you bet your ass I'm going to be hedging off. You know, probably twenty-five, thirty thousand at a minimum, so that one way I win seventy thousand, the other way I win twenty-five thousand or something. If that was the numbers, then that's the thing. So the most important thing you have to ask yourself before you start worrying about any hedging or anything is. Is this a life-changing amount of money that I really need to either lock some in or you know, make sure that I, that I give myself a chance to, to win? Because if it's not, then you just let it ride. Because your initial thought on this game or on this future was what you should be riding right now. So your initial thought was, hey, Buffalo is too cheap, so I'm going to throw some money on them and, and win it that way. Yep. If you made it this far with it, you're not looking to hedge off now where you're really looking to hedge off on these would be in the Super Bowl. And this is the advice that I'm going to give you because you have one on both sides of this. You could probably find a bet out there that is Kansas City versus Green Bay Super Bowl. If you really wanted to hedge, you put a little bit of money on that and a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit on that because if Buffalo wins or if Tampa Bay wins, if they both win, you're in the best situation you can be in because you got to see them. But if even if only one of them wins, your better chance to hedge is next week. Because hmm. if Buffalo wins, there's a chance they might be the underdog against Green Bay. So, or, or there's a chance they might be favored against like Tampa Bay. So you could actually get like maybe plus money on Buffalo next week, or like, you know, you could hedge some money on Buffalo where, you know, if Buffalo winds up in that game, I don't know, plus one twenty five or minus one twenty five, either way. You can set it up so no matter what happens, you're going to win some money. But for this week, I probably wouldn't be doing too much hedging unless, again, like I said, unless you're in a situation where, you know, Buffalo making the Super Bowl wins you like 25, dollars $30,000. In that case, yeah, you're probably going to want to hedge off to the other side a little bit. But if it's so, hundred bucks, i am letting my first initial thought on it ride. And, and hope to cash that. that ticket.
2: So so I I like that. I had a similar situation with what you said with the bills, if they're the underdog against another team that happened with the chiefs last year, that was my futures. So that worked yeah. out there. I got the bucks at 18 to one bill, 17 to one through the same amount of money on it. So the bucks payout is going to be a little bit higher, but the difference really isn't much. And I only threw like 25 bucks on it. So, you know, a couple hundred dollars, nothing drastic yeah. more. Like it's a, for a
3: couple hundred bucks. I would probably just let it ride because i mean it's going to be like yeah. obviously it'll be nice if it cashes for you but really what you want is to go into the super bowl without having put any more money on this that one of those two teams gets there because then you're going to you're going to basically have a $25 bet to win 400 on one side and then depending on who gets there on either other side like you could put i don't know a couple hundred bucks on them there so you guarantee yourself a profit either way and you know again for 400 bucks i would probably just let it ride and like look sure. for the upside but at least you have options, and your options are going to be better next week than they are this week. And you, in particular, who have two teams there, I would just roll the dice that one of the two because you only need one of the two of them to get there to put yourself in that seat. And,
2: and it's beautiful, Benny, because this is a great week to ride with my guys. They're both dogs. Not to cut to the chase mm-hmm. here. I mean, these lines we're going to go through each game, but they're both dogs. And like we like to uh, like we like to talk about, we bet both these teams money line. It's a coin flip game. One of them wins. You should come out pretty decent on the other side. And that's a reference I want to make before I um, make my picks here. Obviously, I kind of foreshadowed it, but let's talk about it first. Let's talk about it first. First game kicking off at 3 p.m. on Sunday is the Bucks, three-point underdogs. That is a minus 102 line at betonline.ag, plus 146 on the money line. On the road against the Green Bay Packers, minus 118 on their minus three spread minus 166 on the money line over under is at 51 Benny. And I say this again, I'm not touching any totals. I said, I wouldn't touch totals last week and we did it again. And it was the only loser. So we're not touching any totals this time around. Okay. So I'm not even talking about the 51, but I do want to note the bucks won the only meeting between these teams, at least with the Rogers Brady thing. And it was in recent memory. It was in week six, the Packers went up 10, nothing and allowed pretty much 38 unanswered yeah they did allow yeah. 38 unanswered they lost 38 to 10 big time statement win for the Bucks. things turned quickly in that game large in part for the defense and I think that's going to have to be the big factor in this game here I expect a heavy dose of Ronald Jones I expect a heavy dose of the Bucks defense but Benny where are you at in this game and is there any stopping Aaron Rodgers right now because the guy looks like an absolute machine I mean, Aaron Rodgers has
3: been awesome, arguably the MVP this year. You know, they're, yeah, I'm in the Josh Allen corner myself, but whatever. I mean, it's, you know, they're all in the discussion here. So when I break my numbers down here, I actually have these teams, I think, third and sixth or something like that, or third and fifth in my power rankings. I have Green Bay about a point and a half better. Um, You add in home field advantage, been using about a point and a half for that this year. So I'm right on market here with the field goal. Green Bay minus three is the number that I have. Um, which is the number of the books they're offering, too, here. So as far as value on this game, I don't really have any for you. As far as my gut, to be honest with you, I do think Green Bay is the better offense. I think Tampa Bay is a much better defense, though. And, I mean, they kind of proved the last week against New Orleans. Now, I don't know if that was so much their defense was really good or that Drew Brees is just fucking washed or some combination of those two things. I feel that night. I mean, Drew Brees looked horrible there. But then again, they also got like lit up right down the middle of the field by Jameis Winston on a, you know, double flea flicker. I love that play. Did you
2: see that was the same play the Bears ran the week before they showed that replay? That's awesome. As a football coach, you do that all the time. You see how a team beat you the week before and do I love to see it even at that level in the playoffs. Just awesome. That's great. They were watching the two and I can't believe
3: they weren't ready for that. That's awesome. Now, again, I don't know if they're going to play defense the same way this week that they did against New Orleans because they basically played, to, they basically played like, you know, bump and run at the line to keep those Saints receivers kind of locked down knowing that they weren't going to get beat over the top because Drew Brees at his noodle arm at this point in time wasn't going to be able to throw the ball downfield. I don't think you try that with Aaron Rodgers. I, I really don't think you try that with Aaron Rodgers. Like, not to mention the fact that Devontae Adams can beat press coverage off the line better than any wide receiver in football right now. Like he's going to wind up getting himself open one way or another, but you also have guys like, you know, Valdez Scantling and, and Alan Lazard that, you know, you can get those guys down the field and, and, you know, get some big plays out. Even Robert Tanyan, like over the middle, like you can get guys like that down the field and, you know, Green Bay is is going to be able to do that a lot better than New Orleans was able to do it last week. So When I look at this game, though, I mean, like I said, my number is right on. I really want to say, like, you know, the value is on the Tampa Bay side. Like, that's where I think it is. But I kind of feel like Tampa Bay is the team that's getting a little more steam. I saw this number at three and a half in some spots at the beginning of this week. So I feel like the Tampa Bay is the side that people are betting on, which leads me to believe that the side you should be on is Green Bay here. Like, Green Bay lay the three. I can see Green Bay kind of running away with this a little bit. So I'm, I'm terrified. Ben. I'm I'm terrified. I'm
2: terrified by it. And that's the thing. I think my overconfidence is not in the bills and we'll get there um, because I actually feel very comfortable at that spot. But man, I don't trust the Packers and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what to think about how they lost that last game. I, I mean, Seriously, it was a tale of two halves or quarters. Right? Whatever the hell happened, the Packers started out just as good as possible. Rodgers almost had a rushing touchdown. That is the game he did the triple thrust. Yeah. And then they brought it back, and we never saw it again. And so they had all momentum. And then the Bucks and Ronald Jones and the pick six changed everything. So I think they're going to send the dogs after Aaron Rodgers, but I think he's going to be ready for that.
3: I don't know. He doesn't turn the ball over. He just doesn't turn the ball over that much. That's the thing. It's like you can send the dogs, but it doesn't doesn't work out very often. Yeah. So I want to touch on a few things
2: before I even give out my pick for this game. There's a few props I really like to look at in this game. And one of them is the guy who scored the first touchdown last game. And I think it's actually had a really good line here. A uh, 2 score, Aaron Jones is plus 115. That's going to be a best bet of mine. I am definitely putting that in there to score at any point. But first touchdown, plus 850 here. He did it last game. I feel like the Packers, again, maybe I'm kind of thinking to fade myself a little bit. I don't want to be too much in on the Bucks. But if the Packers are going to win, they're going to have to start hot. I think if they're sending the pressure, could be out of the backfield, could just be up the middle on kind of a draw setup. But I see Aaron Jones getting in that end zone first. So I really like Jones. I like him to score, especially above plus 100 there, 115. Um, that's a gimme. Before I go to the Bucks, <laughs> Benny, I find this funny every week because Devontae Adams' is lines to score at any point is ridiculous. Um, so I'll just put it this way. I mean, it's only minus 182 from what I saw. But is there any way Devontae Adams doesn't score
3: this week? <laughs> is, there, is there any way? At I all? mean, there is if you think Tampa Bay is going to win this game 38-10. to 10, But honestly, I don't like the Aaron Jones first touchdown thing because the first touchdown will to Devontae Adams. Wow, Ooh.
2: yeah. Well, Last week.
3: The, yeah. last, and, the, and the play they ran last week, they've been running a version of that play all season long where mm. they either try to get them – one-on-one on the outside with no other help, and then they either run the back shoulder fade or they run, like, some kind of cross with them to get him to the touchdown there, or they yeah. do exactly what they did last game where they did that, like, motion just so that he couldn't get pressed at the line, and then it's just a matter of, like, pitch and catch with him and Aaron Rodgers. So, like, if you watched that play last week, they ran, they ran like, a motion where Devontae Adams literally started on this side, went all the way across the formation to that side, and then came all the way back, faith going back. And then as soon as Rodgers called snap, he just broke to the line and Rodgers put it right on the outside. That's a play that is undefendable. Like you cannot defend that play because Rodgers is going to put it right on the money. Adams is too fast, too strong, knows how to use his body too well to like shield it to be able to get there. And I think that they just have so much faith in each other that like when they get down to the five, that's literally like – It's one of those, like, the quarterback looks at the wide receiver and is like, we're going to do that thing? And he's like, yeah, we're going to do that thing. it's like, all right, we're going to do that thing. So I like Devontae Adams for the first touchdown. I played it last week, which worked out really, really well. And there was one of the reasons I said I had a good day. Um, So, yeah, I don't like that. But I do like the anytime touchdown, at 115 for Aaron Jones. I mean, what's the point of taking a guy at minus 182, really? Like, if you take it, you do it on, like – you do it on like some site that'll let you like parlay him scoring the first touchdown with, you know, yeah, them like, or or yards or something yeah. like that,
2: you know? Yeah, 100%. Well, so I got a few more anytime score numbers here that I think might jump out at you and you might like. So Ronald Jones looked a little back to normal last week, a little bit. Fournette did get the touchdown, but he got the same kind of workload. But well, Ronald Jones, the score is at 2-1 to one here. 2-1, to one, Benny – Tell me why I got to stay away then. Is this a trap? Ronald Jones, two touchdowns in the last meeting against uh, Green Bay. Two.
3: Yeah. I mean, listen, Uncle Lenny. Uncle Lenny's looking good right now, man. You know, like Leonard Fournette is. Fair. Leonard Fournette's a real thing. And, and I hate it. Like, if anybody plays DFS out there, you know, people were like, oh, Leonard Fournette's going to have a horrible game now because Ronald Jones is active, like. Leonard Fournette had a good game. Leonard Fournette had a very good game. Leonard Fournette had a better fantasy game than Ronald Jones did. So, you know, when you look at those two guys, my, my biggest problem, Steve, and we talk about this all the time with, with running backs, right, it's like whenever there's a committee, I, I want to stay away from it because it's just a whole extra layer of, of bullshit that you don't know how it's going to work out. Like maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe Ronald Jones gets two touchdowns, but there's also a scenario there where Leonard Fournette gets two touchdowns. There's a scenario where there's only one rushing touchdown, and then you're doing a coin flip on, is it going to be my guy or is it going to be the other guy? Whereas you could go to a team like, you know, I guess Buffalo is the closest thing to having like a single back right now, but they're not even a good example of that's what I want to say. Well, they have, they have Josh Allen too, so I mean, they do. Well, that's really- what I'm saying. They're not even really a good yeah. example of what I wanted to get at. But like, you know, like you look at a team like the Tennessee Titans, like you know if the Titans score a rushing touchdown, It's going to be Derrick Henry. So if I'm taking the number, I feel a lot more comfortable with that because there's only one layer of analysis. It's not, well, what if this is the other back? And the thing that really has me is, like you said, the back that got the goal line touchdown last week was Leonard Fournette. So we're basically like, yeah, well, Ronald Jones had them last time. But the most recent thing we just saw was Fournette being the guy that got it. So I don't know. That makes me a little nervous right there.
2: So so I'm listening to what you have to say because usually when you fade me, I like to say, ha, finally I'm onto something. Because last week with the Bucks and the Saints and usually with the Giants and things like that, I'm like, all right, maybe doesn't like this. This might be a good idea, and that's why I end up doing it. it. Doesn't always work out, but you know your props. So I'm taking this very much into account and I'm
3: glad you're saying that. I'm hope hopefully the listeners are listening to this stuff. Because again Yeah, the thing is it's not even whether it's gonna work or whether it's not gonna work. It's all with props, it's all about probabilities. And when you have unknowns, then you can't figure out what the exact probability is. So you can't figure out what the number you should be taking is, if that makes sense. And it's kind of a high brow theory, but hmm. when you know, when you, like, you know, if Tennessee scores a rushing touchdown, it's going to be Derrick Henry. So if you're breaking down your numbers and you say, all right, they, they're going to score 1.5 rushing touchdowns in this game, you can say to yourself, all right, there's probably like a 60 or 70% chance that Derrick Henry gets a touchdown. You could break down those same numbers and say, okay, there's probably a, you know, 60% chance that there's a rushing touchdown in this game. But now you have to do a whole other level of analysis to say, what are the chances that that touchdown is Jones or what are the chances that it's Fournette? And the number that you're getting paid is not usually big enough. Like what's Ronald Jones? You said two to one? Two to one. So two to one means there's a 33% chance he scores a touchdown. So we just said there's a 60% chance that Tampa Bay scores. And Leonard Fournette is the guy who got the goal line carries last week. So the chance of Fournette scoring should be bigger than a chance of Ronald Jones scoring. So if you split it in half, it'd be 30% chance. If Ronald Jones is the one who has less chance, Ronald Jones' chance of scoring is probably like 25%. So 25% would mean you need plus 300. So at plus 200, it's not a good bet. And that's kind of how the numbers work on all that stuff, if it makes sense. And if it doesn't, i'll have to explain it better some other time because we don't have the time
2: well listen i know i'm following the people who are watching it might have been a lot they might be coming in and out closing the app there's a lot of numbers being thrown around so i get it it's a lot to take in but i'm trying to feed the props out there especially come this time of year i feel like props have the best value if you kind of get a read on it but i Mm -hmm. definitely would recommend especially sometimes on these enticing ones like you said um ftn does a great job at that too Look at the other props out there. Look what the odds are. Make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck because if it makes more sense at three to one, then make sure you get your value at three to one if you really like it. You know what I mean? If you like it, you like it. You're going to do what you want to do anyways. Just make sure you get your biggest bang for yeah, your buck. So let, me, let me
3: actually plug that real quick. It's over on, uh, on FTN Bets. If you guys go over to FTN Bets, it's a free tool. So you don't even have to sign up for an account to use it. Up at the top of the screen, you'll see something that says Prop Shop. You click on the Prop Shop. You put in the name of whoever you're looking for the props for and you pick which state that you're in and it'll give you every single sports book in that state and what the prop is what the number is and what the payout is so if you like the ronald jones to score find ronald jones to score you know go type in ronald jones name go down to ronald jones to score a touchdown and it'll say bet mgm plus 180 you know DraftKings plus 200 Vandal plus 250 or whatever the numbers happen to be and then just pick the biggest number because that's going to be the best payout so if you're going to play it anyway you might as well get the best payout for it. That's uh, that's my motto, and it's one of the yeah. best ways to be profitable over the long term. So definitely make sure you get over there. FTM bets, prop shop, free tool. Check it out. Tell them Benny sent you.
2: A thousand percent. I love it. See, that's that's a Benny statement that I was able to say without any help. Just like make sure you get your money, or as Marshawn Lynch would say, I'll protect your chickens. Protect yeah. your chickens, right?" And give me All right. Some- so <laughs> he did say that. That's not my words. Okay, um, Chris Godwin was one more. I, I love. I love him every week. Um, I hit on him in Washington. Didn't do didn't do it last week, but anytime score plus one sixty two. Um, I think Mike Evans is going to draw a lot of attention. He didn't really do much in their last matchup, so that's one thing I like. I also like Robert Tanyan over three and a half receptions. That's at plus one twenty two as well. A lot of his receptions lately have been three, but I just I feel it. I feel like they want to use
3: the wide receiver for me in Green Bay, so I like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. so... Yo, while you're talking, I gotta go grab
3: the wire or my thing's gonna die here. So I made the rookie move of not charging my laptop before we started. I didn't think we were talking this long, but uh, let me go grab my wire.
2: I'll gladly banter. Oh, we got some people on the show here. I haven't checked anything in the comments, guys. I'm sorry, Mark Bergen. What is up, my brother? I am late to the party. I didn't pick up on it. Better Picks is here. Routines is here. I gotta give a shout out. I'm on StreamYard now for the first time. I was on YouTube. Usually I have that window open to check the comments, but there's a lot going on here. I appreciate you uh, tuning in, Mark. Let's see what you said here. Adam the Jets whisperer. (laughs) The Jay Cutler whisperer, not the Jets whisperer. Yeah, much better. Jets have nearly $71 million in cap. They do. They do have that much money in cap. They can do it um, if they wanted to. They could spend some money around for Deshaun Watson. And those two first-round picks, uh, it definitely matters, but I still don't know if Deshaun – makes a lot of sense for them in terms of what the hell they need because they need everything. <laughs> they need everything. Same reason they shouldn't draft a quarterback at two. Um, let's get back on track here as we're getting things going. And, Benny, we have one, one game left here. One game. Not a lot to talk about this week, man. Not a lot to talk about. We're managing to talk, though, and uh, we're giving the people something to watch and listen to. So that's important because they're trying to make money. I know they are. People are hungry out here. COVID's got people hungry. We got one game left. Hopefully, it's not our last one, and we end up together for the Super Bowl. But no promises. No promises. We don't know how this world works, so let's make sure this one counts. And I, per- I would rather no better game to end championship weekend than Bill's Chiefs. This is a game I kind of saw coming up since they played in week six. They also played in week six, like the Bucks and Packers. So this Ooh. is like we're running it back about 12 weeks ago. Odd how that works. Kansas City won that one, controlled a lot of the game there. I ran the ball a bunch. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 166 rushing yards. They won 26-17. to 17. Weird game, though. I'm pretty sure it got rescheduled. They played the early Monday Monday afternoon game. Or, or something happened happened there with COVID. So I, I remember things were out of whack. Um, really weird weather game. So I'm, I'm going to take that game with a green of salt here and just say that both these teams are in different spots than when they played. And mainly for me is that Patrick Mahomes is hurt. I know he's not that hurt, Benny, but he's hurt. And look, you mentioned it in the last game, and the last preview, that Josh Allen could have won MVP. And this is my comment uh, just about this matchup in general. I love Mahomes. Dynamic generational talent. Best quarterback in the league, MVP. I get all that. But 75% Mahomes? Not really mobile Mahomes over a fully healthy Josh Allen? Maybe I'm a homer. Maybe I got too much money on the Bills. I already made his people's MVP trophy. But give me Josh Allen, Benny. Are you worried about this Mahomes injury? Are you worried about the Chiefs? Where are you at in this game? And does the number at three even make sense? We can get analytical with it, but I kind of went off on the Homer rant there.
3: Well, I mean, (laughs) yes, we're going to get analytical with it, but we also got to adjust for what's going on right now. So analytical-wise, I have – these teams are number one and number three in my power rankings right now. I have the Saints were, were number two – or number one and number four. I'm sorry. The Saints were number two here. Um, I have Kansas City on a neutral field about three and a half points better. So when you add in the home field advantage and all that stuff, you're basically looking at like a little over – my number is actually a little over five, right? So three would be a little bit short. But remember, we also have to make an adjustment for Patrick Mahomes. So in my power rankings, like I said to you, I, I skew it very much towards like passing efficiency, passing volume, passing like yards per attempt, like things like that, because those are things that have shown to have more correlation with who wins and loses football games over the last couple of years, especially with the way that the rules are, right? So Patrick Mahomes is the number one quarterback in my power rankings, um, slightly ahead of Aaron Rodgers, who's number two. I have Mahomes as worth about eight and a half to nine points to a spread. So if my number is minus five with a help, now again, this is my number is based on the stats that happened during the season, which is based on Patrick Mahomes being a healthy starting quarterback for the Kansas city chiefs. So based on those numbers, if Mahomes wasn't playing, I would think that Buffalo should be favored by like a field goal in this game or so. So that's really where I'm at. The minus three, I think is a nod to the fact that Mahomes is not completely healthy and also a little bit of a nod to the fact that in the last nine games, the chiefs are Oh eight and one against the spread. And the fact that the chiefs have not covered since November 1st against the New York jets. So I think that the spread should have been a little bit lower here to begin with. And then I think the Mahomes injury also has it lower. So here's the deal. If you think Patrick Mahomes is hundred percent healthy, the value in this game is taking is laying the field goal. Is it a field goal or is it below a field goal? It's two and a half at the open that's why I'm asking. So yeah,
2: I was so excited I didn't even give the numbers. It's at three it's so there yeah. are three point dogs minus one nineteen at bet online for the three point dogs plus one twenty one on the money line uh minus one oh one for the chiefs at minus three uh, minus one forty one on the money line over under, which we are not touching is at fifty
3: three. but yes yeah. so, so at the minus three laying the minus three with the chiefs. If you think Patrick Mahomes is going to be healthy and is normal Patrick Mahomes, there's value in that minus three on the Chiefs' side. And if you can get it anywhere at below minus three, I mean, you should be backing up the truck to take that if you think Mahomes is healthy. Now, if you don't think Mahomes is going to be healthy, there's no way that Kansas City would win this game without Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes I mean, just look at what happened last week against the Browns and how they, they held on to beat the Browns. They didn't beat the Browns going away after Mahomes got hurt. They held on. There's no way you're going to beat a better team because Buffalo's better than Cleveland. There's no way you're going to beat a better team without Patrick Mahomes. I don't even know if you could beat Buffalo without a 100% healthy Patrick Mahomes because you would need Mahomes to make a couple really big plays here in order to kind of make sure that Kansas City wins this game, which is what we've seen him do for the last part of the two months, even if they haven't been covering the spread. So for me, the value on this game, Steve, and you're going to like to hear this, is Buffalo money line right now is what I already bet on.
2: I love it. I love it. I I love hearing it. And, you know, you're 100% right. I I think Mahomes is going to play. I just think he's going to play. play. Yeah, I I think he's going to play. They said he made some big steps today. Again, we talk about this all season long. It's not easy coming up with these things on Tuesday, but we do our best and we're giving you the best advice we can for those instances. And look, I just love the Bills. They're an absolute wagon right now. I feel really good about them. And I think maybe a part of me is flourishing as a Bills fan because the Giants, they break my heart, but I haven't been heartbroken like Bills fans. I feel invested in the Bills. Like, I don't want this run to end. Like, I can only imagine. We mentioned BB's strip fumble. Imagine losing four times in the Super Bowl. Like, I can't. I can't. I really cannot do that. So, um I feel like I'm becoming a, a Bills fan right in front of my own eyes. And I'm looking forward to it. I love the three. I love the three in a game that I think is going to be close. The Chiefs are also terrible at covering the, uh, covering the spread. And even though the three isn't anything significant, it's still a key number. So I'm on the Bucks plus three. I'm on the Bills plus three. There isn't much going on with props here. They're not out yet, but I did want to touch on a few team totals. And we're at 36 for the over under on the Bills, 28 and a half on the over under for the Chiefs. I'll be honest, I, I see this being a low-scoring game. I, I, I do for some reason. I don't love it. 28.5 a is a lot for me on the Chiefs side. Um, I know the Bills' D isn't great, but they exposed them last time through the running game, and Daryl Williams might be able to do it. May, maybe he can, and that's what they tried to do coming out against the Browns, but I'm not necessarily sold on that. So of those two totals, I kind of like the under on both of them, but I'll take the under of the 28 and a half, um first and foremost. Then – Here's where we're at. Follow me on this. Bills to score first and to win, plus two sixty. Not terrible. It's not terrible. Yeah. We can work with that. Look, guys, we, we're, I did my best. I did my homework to find some props. You guys can find value, in. I felt like that's not too bad. If I'm gonna ride with the Bills, it's basically a first touchdown bet, and we kind of you know string it along. Yeah,
3: and I like, if you're gonna bet on Bills first touchdown, I'd rather just bet Bills first touchdown then try to parse who's going to score it because they are one of the toughest. They spread things around so much. It's not like there's any, it's not like there's any rhyme or reason to like, Oh, well, these guys are more likely to score. Like one day it's Dawson Knox one day. It's, you know, Stefan Diggs one day. It's John Brown. One day it's Isaiah McKenzie or whatever, like other wide receiver they have. His name is like, you know, maybe it's the running back. Maybe it's Josh Allen himself running it in. Like trying to find the first touchdown bet on Buffalo is, it's like trying to find one on Kansas City. You know, on Kansas City, there's just so many weapons that it's tough to nail it down. Like with Green Bay, you know, it's very likely to be either Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams. It was an easy bet to make. On a team like Buffalo or Kansas City, though, like there's no there's no individual player that stands out to me as like this is the guy who's most likely to score the first touchdown because it, honestly, it could be any number of four or five guys on either team that do it. And I mean, basically taking any number at like less than ten to one first touchdown in this game, it just wouldn't make sense to me.
2: The Chiefs is great too because my favorite of all of them is always to bet the Mahomes rushing touchdown, and of course, naturally, I did not do that last week, and I uh, I was on Kelsey, and it's just that that's it right there. It could be Clyde, yeah. it could be Lev, it could be Daryl Williams, could be Kelsey, could be Hill, could be Hardman. Oh, the, Mahomes is just gonna run it in. Everyone yeah. loses.
3: and that's <laughs> why everybody. Like Buffalo's the same way. Like it could be Josh Allen running it in, or it could be him throwing to any one of four or five receivers. Oh, like magic pass, you don't even know what that team yeah, is exactly. exactly. pass all the time. Yeah. No, it's nope. just tough. It's tough. There's certain teams I'll bet them. Those are two teams that I never liked betting them this year because it's just there's no rhyme or reason to figuring out who's who's gonna be the guy.
2: Well, we have no more games to talk about, but to recap real quick. I do have futures on both the Bucks and the Bills, but this is unbiasedly. I'm riding with my guys, taking both the underdogs this week. I'll take them at plus three because that's what we do. We're in against the spread show. Let me pull up the banners for the people that are still watching. Let you guys know, pretty good against the spread here at the New York Football Podcast. So is Benny. He's not too bad himself. I'm the reason he. um he's the reason I'm good. I almost reversed it. I, I'm, I'm all over the place because of the, the information this guy has given to me. Um, if you're new here, if you're checking this out for the first time, wherever you're watching Periscope or YouTube or listening to the pod, make sure you follow Benny at Benny R11. Turn those notifications on. He has great stuff. He's working with FTN Network, but he's also working with a million other things. He does golf. He does basketball, daily fantasy. He's all over the place. Benny, did I get everything? Did I cover everything? Yeah, I, I don't
3: actually do golf. I just know the guys who do golf really well. <laughs> I promote them because they're my boys and they work with me and they're very good. Don't listen to me. I don't know shit about golf. <laughs> okay. Don't listen to him on golf, but listen to
2: him on everything else. Um, Listen to what we had to say today, especially when it comes to values on props. Really go over and do yourself a favor and check out FTN Network. They have those prop calculators, so you should really benefit on that. I love Aaron Jones' score at any point, plus 115 on that. Give me Rojo, but I'll take him. And I didn't get to mention this. Instead of taking him to score one, I'm going to have some fun. Take him to score two. Let's beat these odds. Rojo, to score two is plus 1,300. What is is Uncle
3: Lenny to score two?
2: I'm not sure. I could look that up for you.
3: But I did have some other things on here. My guess is he's probably a little bit cheaper. He's probably like 11 or so, but somewhere around the same area. I'm telling you, I hate that my biggest problem is they could both have wind up with one. Like, I think – They were so balanced. Yeah, they, were, they, they gave them both opportunities last week, so I can't say one or the other. That's my problem.
2: So we're looking at it right now. Leonard Fournette, anytime scorer, actually. So I guess you're right. Leonard Williams – uh Leonard Williams. Leonard Fournette, anytime scorer is plus, uh, plus 190, plus 200 is for Ronald Jones. So y- you got a dime difference there. First okay. touchdown score is 1,300. And I'll let you know on to score two. Probably twelve. 1200 yeah, so he's right off that. So, you know, nothing drastic. You you, you were right on that, but I don't know. I like my guy, Rojo. I'm going to stick with him. I hope you're right. I mean, for your sake
3: and the sake of your bankroll, I hope you're right. We sprinkle.
2: We just have some
3: fun, Benny. They're fun
2: coupons. We don't put anything significant on here. We all have different versions of units. My units vary sometimes, and that's why we end up in pickles. Keep those unit sizes the same, boys. Don't do what I'm doing. I'm having fun. I'm in a daze. I can't believe them this right. I have no idea how the Bucks have made it this far. The Bills, though. The Bills we saw. The Bills we saw coming. I have Bills to score first and to win at plus 260, and the Bills plus three. Um, I'll separate my game picks from these outrageous picks to make sure you have a clear-cut look at this record. But I'm trying to give the people everything possible to bet on. I We have very scarce stuff left. Benny... Thank you so much
3: for coming on, man. We survived. Boys, there's only one thing you said I disagree with, boys. Boys, do not keep your unit size the same. Your girlfriend will not like that.
2: Oh, I like that. I like that. Boys, only boys. Girls, you could keep your you could switch your unit sizes, I guess. <laughs> They'll do it anyways. It's 2020, 2021. You know, you can't tell anyone what their unit sizes are anymore.
3: <laughs> this is going down a really bad path right here. You
2: we're this close. <laughs> you're this close to ending the show nicely. No. All right. Well, Benny, thank you for coming on.
3: <laughs> no, I did not, dude.
2: That interview with Benny Ricciardi was brought to you by betonline.ag. Betonline your online sportsbook experts. Big shout out to Benny Ricciardi, Bill Campy, and Pat DiMartino for all coming on the show for this episode. It's a monster. Can't even believe it's gone to the two-hour mark, but this is by far our longest episode yet. And if you guys have stuck around through this point, man, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys tuning in. You can also check out my other content on the YouTube channel, Talking Tino. That's where our live streams are. For the New Year Football Podcast, you can also check out some Mets content I'm working on. We are already building up our sub count over at What Are W-H-A-D-D-Y-A, Shea Shea, like Shea Stadium. Um, It's a YouTube channel, exclusive Mets content I'm working on with the Mage and the Entertainer. Really big stuff going on there, so I'm excited about that. I'll get a video out a week uh, involving the Mets and overall general baseball stuff. But primarily with this show, man, you can check us out at Talking Tino. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe on all the podcast platforms and on Twitter at Tino Rodriguez and at NY football pod guys thank you again for everything thank you for listening love you guys peace